Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Incomparable, number 639, November 2022. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. Uh, this episode is going to be about two... I, I don't really want to say similar... Two <laughs> fantasy series with enormous budgets that were launched in the fall of 2022. Do they compete with each other? Maybe for your mind share, maybe not. Uh, it is Amazon Prime Video's The Lord of the Rings, colon, The Rings of Power, and HBO's ha- Game of Thrones in parentheses, House of the Dragon. <laughs> Uh, we are going to talk about them in turn, starting with the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, and then uh, there'll be a break, uh, and then we will talk. Uh, we'll say goodbye to one of our panelists, and then we'll talk about House of the Dragon. Um, if you have only seen one of them, I guess uh, chapter markers or scrubbing or something to get to the second part, or to uh, or press pause if you haven't seen House of the Dragon when we get there. But anyway, let me introduce uh, my panelists who are going to be discussing some or all of these shows with me. Joe Rosenstiel is here. Hi, Joe. Hello. Uh, Moises Chuyan is here. Hi, Moises. Uh, I am not, and I am exactly who you think I am. Mm. Yes, I was going to say, he fell from the sky, and uh, we woke him up in a crater. It's John Syracuse. Hello. I hope we dig into both of these shows too greedily and too deep. Mm. Mm, We're going to delve too deep. And uh, she didn't watch all but the first episode of House of the Dragon, but she did watch (laughs) Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. It's Erica Ensign. Hello. Hello, I am here to root for all women who have been literally catfished. All right. All right. <laughs> um, okay, so Prime Video, Lord of the Rings, colon, The Rings of Power, <laughs> a show um, based on the appendices of Lord of the Rings, and whose elevator pitch is, you know, that first few minutes of Lord of the Rings, uh, Fellowship of the, of the Ring, where they... Um, where they they explain everything that happened over, portentously uh, to create the setup for the Lord of the Rings. What if that was a show? That's this show. That's that was the elevator pitch. The first five minutes of Fellowship of the Ring, the show, the the series, mm-hmm. the television series. You have to admit that first five minutes was pretty cool. It is pretty sure cool. Was. 
Um, prologue the television series is an interesting, <laughs> uh, interesting concept. I will also say, Jason, not, that's a whole genre now. Not to give the whole well, it, it really is. As I was about to say, not to give the whole thing away, but this season of Lord of the Rings: The Rings of Power is sort of prologue to prologue the television <laughs> series. It's prologue well, all the way flesh down. It out a little bit, otherwise it would be five minutes long. That's 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 true. Um, in this, I wrote down that this, so eight episodes, they spent, first off, Amazon spent a lot of money just to get the rights to a very tiny sliver of Lord of the Rings because some of the rights are elsewhere. And so it was like, how do we do this? And they thread the needle by saying you have the rights to the appendices, which is basically the stuff that happened before Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Uh, is that a thing? And they're like, okay, we'll take it. And then they so they've just got Spider-Man and the X-Men is what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, for $100 million. That's what they got. They just got Spider-Man and the X-Men. So uh, they they made a show based on, again, the elevator pitch of what if we took the prologue and made prologue the television series. Um, the Lord of the Rings colon prologue colon the television series. <laughs> um, colon the origin of Batman's butler. Exactly. Uh, well done. So uh, that's what this show is. Uh, they shot it in New Zealand. Um, it took a long time. They spent a lot of money. Uh, there was a COVID uh, break in the middle there, and then they had to go mm -hmm. back. Uh, but they did they they did it. They did the eight episodes. I wrote down here the multiple storylines that take place in this first season of Lord of the Rings: The Rings of Power. Uh, this is set, of course, for those who have not uh, who don't know the lore. It it it's set way before it it's set in that prologue where they're like uh, thousands of years ago. They made those rings <laughs> and one of them was real bad. And that's what the story is, right? That's, that's basically what they're doing here. So I have down, here are the storylines. Tell me if I've forgotten one, um, elves and rings, um, Numenorians and the people who wash up on their shore, <laughs> the, the people of the Southland who are under siege by forces of evil. Check. Um, Harfoots and a mysterious stranger. Hell yeah. And dwarf shenanigans. <laughs> you left one out. One is the like super duper distant past when Galadriel was just a wee baby. I, I think of that as sort of the... That's the prologue to the prologue the show for prologue the show. <laughs> That's what I would have thought too, but they keep going back to it. I keep thinking it's the prologue to the uh, Numenor and people who washed up on shore, including Galadriel... Um, I, I would follow it that way if they didn't return to it in like the second to last episode. I don't think they actually returned to it, though. It's more of like a flashback, not like more yeah. things happening. Here's here's a referential joke. Uh, I, I feel like we should have spent an extended amount of time in that time period and then done a time jump. Oh. Mm. Where various <laughs> characters are recast, but other characters are <laughs> not recast. <laughs> Erica, Erica doesn't get these jokes. Uh, oh, I get it, John. I live in the world. Prologue to the prologue. <laughs> but the do you prologue. really get it at a visceral level? Uh, One more thing for uh, you to hate about that show. Thankfully, no. Actually, you know what? I like time jumps. We're going to no. talk about Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, and detail. So if you have, if if you don't want to be spoiled, don't listen. That's my spoil. There's the spoiler horn. There it is. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But the ring is bad. It. Just FYI. Um. <laughs> the. Oh, by the way, the the quotes above my list of the definitive list of the five and a half storylines in this season is my subtitle for this season, which is Secretly Sauron. We replaced one of our characters with Sauron. Mm -hmm. Let's see if they notice. 
I thought what we should do is have a have a have a draft of these timelines because there are some clear favorites in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. So I mean, before we dive into that, let's just I, I wanted to to see what everybody thought of the idea that this is prologue to the prologue. Because by the time we got to the end, and a uh, spoiler alert for later in the podcast, I also feel this way about the other show. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I thought, oh, this is really interesting uh, world building at the beginning of season one, and then we're going to dive into it. And we got to the end of season one, and I said, okay, I guess next season we'll dive into it. <laughs> but this, <laughs> it, it, it feels very much like, uh, I guess this is modern TV now. Um, uh, it is the pacing of sort of like, we can, we not only can we be slow paced, we can take an entire season to just sort of set the stage for the story we actually want to tell. And I feel like uh, this show did a lot of that where, where it, it, it was, you could say confident in moving at the pace that it wanted to make uh, or it wanted to move at. Um, but also that it, I never felt like it felt any sense of urgency about its story at all. Well, there's a, there's a, a thing that has been said about various shows that, oh, it's a, it's, it's one long movie, that kind of a thing. Um, but uh, another thing that has been generalized about uh, comic book movies is that they're all roller coaster rides. And this show is a dark ride at a Disney park that occasionally has thrilling sequences, but you know, you, you don't have to worry too much about whether or not you brought a six-year-old along. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it gets intense. Uh, but those, those intense moments are few and far between. And otherwise you're just having a very pleasant time and everything looks very pretty. You know, honestly, I think that's how they got me. Um, because yeah. I, I wasn't going to watch either one of these shows. I was happy that they existed because I love more fantasy content and science fiction content to be in the world. But I, I just felt like I had kind of had enough for now, needed a break from that sort of thing. So I was like, I'm not going to do this. Uh, and then my spouse, Steven, decided to watch both of those shows, which it's totally fine. And I was asking him about it. And he quite liked uh, The Rings of Power and was like, yeah. And, you know, I was, I was kind of like, well, I don't really need to watch the show because, you know, I've read those appendices a whole bunch of times. I've read the Silmarillion. Like, I know a bunch of this stuff. So is it going to feel like weirdly spoilery? Am I going to have the same kind of angry feelings if they change things like they did in the movies, which probably wasn't going to happen because I don't remember this stuff all that well. But I Justice decided to for Glorfindel. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I was like, eh, I'll give it a shot. And I watched the first episode. And that first episode is, you know, <laughs> prologue heavy to the prologue. Um, and then I was like, I'll give it another one. And somehow, like within the first couple of episodes, I kind of got that sort of slow, not quite pastoral pace, but it really just, it seeped into me in a way where I enjoyed and came to care about the the characters way more than I expected. And I think if they would have just dived into the action, I don't think I would be as emotionally invested in this show as I actually am, because like, especially with with the Harfoots, I was like every t- I was on the edge of my seat every time being like, oh, what are they going to do next? And not always in a like super scared sort of way, but just in a like, I love these people. I love this setting. I love these characters. I love the way they interact. I love the writing and the, you know, quick sticks, like, you know, just the little things that they would say to each other in terms of slang. And the I think the the slow pace is not always something that I enjoy in a show. But here it 100 percent worked for me because it let me 
soak into the world in a way that got me familiar with it. And then I just didn't want to leave. And it was the only show that I was really excited about. Like every week, let's watch another one. I think I had to watch the first four to catch up. And then after that, it was just like, when do I get another episode? Mm. So I'm 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 glad that it was the prologue to the prologue uh, because now I'm super excited for whatever comes next. And I, if I if it would have been that uh, exciting excitement right from the beginning, I might have been less ironically excited. I don't remember the first episode that well, but one of the things the series does a little bit, which is a, a reasonably good approach, is what the Fellowship does is you have some big dramatic thing that happens, and then maybe you run your credits, and then you come in on something that's calmer, right? So you need the hook to grab them, oh, this is going to be an exciting show, but now we can afford to show you a little girl playing by the river with her paper boat or whatever. Uh, but I feel like the whole job of this first season is to as you know as well as it can to get you to know and like these characters and maybe not the characters because like well i know and like gladriel but this you know this is a different gladriel like you might as well just think of these as new characters you have to like the you have to like the new actors that are playing them they're different people in a different time even if it is technically the same character it's not hugo weaving you know it's not kate blanchett people Uh, change in a few thousand years it's fine exactly right And, and but you do have to come to like these characters and that's what that's what this season has to do now i there are other shows that do it faster than this one, as in maybe some shows you watch two episodes and you're super invested in the main character or whatever. But this is a big cast across multiple timelines. So you don't have the time to spend. I think that's part of what makes the pace feel slow. You don't have the time to spend with like like a show that centers on one or two characters or a family or something. You probably get to know them after one or two episodes. But here we're doing the timeline jumping. Some episodes, I think, didn't barely touched on some of the timelines. Or no, I keep saying timelines for the but threads, whatever you want to call them, the, yeah. the different settings, Story right? Sometimes you don't see them for a while, and then you come back to them, and figuring out how to interleave them is difficult. Uh, and I mentioned like having a draft for the different threads because I think some of the threads tread water for a significant portion of mm. the the series, and and it does a disservice to them because I mean I like the Harfoots as well, but their main the main plot point in the Harfoot thread is stranger come from the sky. He's confused about himself, and he's confused for like six episodes. It's like, all right, you're confused. We get it. Like, nothing happens. There is no progress. He's confused. He might have powers. They're scared. And it's like, yeah, you except can't we learn about that. the Harfoots, uh, the Harfoots society. Like, I, honestly, I didn't care about the stranger that much, to, but because eventually, I was just like, I just want to, I just want to watch these people live their lives. That's that's yeah, good well, enough for me. I, I like the Harfoot characters. Like the little pairing, uh, it was a little bit iffy on the uh, the the morality if you get left behind by these lovely friendly people if you that. got a broken ankle. But whatever, it's a different time. You know, they're nomadic, yeah. so on and so forth. But like the, their main plot thread was the stranger and how that's going to resolve, and it is it ties into the family dynamic. Whatever. But anyway, I felt like that thread was given short shrift and other threads mm. i think some the, the other two threads i think uh, that are the, uh, the bottom tier for me uh, suffered from lack of clarity about about the stakes i guess uh so the numenorian thread and the southlanders thread within any given episode or any given scene you can more or less say okay these people don't like those people because x or y but like the overall conflict was just never was never nailed down to to the degree that I thought it should be. It was just kind of like from moment to moment, this is important, then that's important, then that's important. It's like, what is the main problem here? Are most of the Southlanders, like, do they do they hate the elves, but the elves are leaving, so the elves aren't there for most of the thing, and now they're just suspicious, but they believe in the orcs, but they don't believe in the orcs, but they want to join them, but they don't want to join them. And it was like, 
kind of muddy. And the same thing with the Numenorians. Well, they used to be friends with the elves, but they washed up, but the king is in the thing or whatever. And says, and you have the vision, and they're going to go out, and there's like every one of those individual things makes sense in isolation, but together they kind of smeared a muddy haze of motivations and, and uh, plots across <laughs> those two threads. Uh, you know what? So, it's really, it's really interesting because you are, you, you're absolutely right in, in terms of like looking at it from a television viewer wanting mm-hmm. to know what the stakes are and stuff. And I think I was watching it from a totally different perspective. I mean, yes, I was still watching it on television, but I felt like I was just like living life with the people. And when you're living life, you don't necessarily know what stakes you're in the middle of. So none of that actually bothered me because I felt like, you know, when I recognized they were in the Southlands, I'm like, okay, this, this town is not going to last oh they're in mm-hmm. Numenor oh we're not gonna hear about that later um but so like I knew the like giant giant 10,000 mile view stakes but in terms of like the actual plot I I recognized that I didn't know the same way that you did but for me I kind of saw it as a feature not a bug because I was like yeah I really have no idea where this is going and neither do these people so we're all pals now I, but I felt like it didn't let me get in, get in into the vibe of what's her name, that Bronwyn, right? Yep. Like she's mm-hmm. she's cool. She's hanging out there. She's got a kid. But like, what's her what's her motivation? Why does she care about any of this? Is she fighting for her homeland? Do we do have what's her character backstory? Why is she protecting this kid? Does she does she like the elves? Does she hate the elves? Does she just like the hunky elf who likes her? Like it's just. Like I, I didn't I didn't dislike any of it, but it felt what I felt in the, in this whole series was that that. It was it was like kind of guided by a somewhat inexperienced hand. I don't know that is mm-hmm. like I'm sure there's many many hands and many many minds, yeah. but it felt like uh, they didn't have the they weren't able to uh, assemble these pieces and arrange them and convey the stories in as skillful a way as I have seen done on, for example, Game of Thrones, which is a very different show. But for the most part, you always knew where the pieces were, who the characters were, what their motivations were, and what they were doing within everything. And this kind of got a little bit muddied um obviously very different show and this i one of the things i did appreciate about about the show was all that money they spent to make everything look good i like looking at pretty lord of the rings things (laughs) i like (laughs) i I like new zealand i like you know for a few moments there they had a few scenes in a few of the episodes where they basically did the peter jackson thing where you've got beautiful scenery and the music swells and you see the the warriors and for uh, for a moment you understand the very simple black and white stakes of a good versus evil battle and people you know being courageous or whatever um but in between there i felt like just i don't know i felt like the series was a little bit lost and what props it up is you know the beautiful scenery the very charismatic and attractive actors uh and you know the 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 prologue to the prologue thing the fact that we kind of know what this map is going to look like by middle earth the fact that we can look at the southland village and say yeah don't buy real estate there um and you know and even even kind of i mean we'll get to this a little bit later i'm sure but kind of knowing the fates of the of the various characters none of that bothered me because like you know i don't have to be fearing for galadriel's life to the whole series because that's not the stakes for her at all and so i'm just happy to watch the characters do interesting things and you know bounce off each other and chew the scenery a little bit and have really cool looking armor and outfits joe what do you think about yeah. the prologue to the prologue or anything else you'd like to 
Exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I to go off of what John said, it, this is very evident that these are inexperienced hands um, because they these are two guys who couldn't sell any of their movie scripts and get them made, and so they made this series and they had a very effective pitch. But you can tell that they didn't know what to do story wise in a lot of this. So there are aesthetic things that they nail, um, which they uh, probably have an easier time doing because they're mimicking or copying or. Uh, very closely adhering to uh, the Peter Jackson uh, Lord of the Rings series and some other uh, Lord of the Rings artwork that had been done for a long time prior to that series. Um, but the series itself is kind of a mess in terms of storylines. So the most enjoyable part for me was usually dissecting, you know, when the when the episode would premiere, just like what was happening. If this whole thing had been released as one big blob, I don't think I would have had the stamina to watch the whole thing or oh. enjoyed it as much because I like talking about uh well let's say the choices um because it's a little more generous than saying mistakes i like talking about <laughs> the choices that were made uh with other people uh after we watch the thing and sort of like uh monday morning showrunner it or i guess friday morning showrunner it um and uh it's just mostly fascinating to see sort of like how much money you could spend on something to look so amazing and beautiful but then not realize that uh the there's a shot where nothing seems to happen and that's the last time we see that character until maybe next season or something yes. and then yeah it, it's just like why 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 do you guys make those mistakes but you know we're staring at this beautiful slow motion horse where you guys like i think change the irises or something and it's like why do why do we, why are we uh focusing there instead of here um so i like uh I, I like talking about the show more than I think I like the show itself. And if I had no one to talk about the show with, I don't think I would watch it. <laughs> yeah, for for me, like that's that's one of the things is I really, really, really loved the show, the experience of the show, and could not help but see the seams when it came to the show running. And Game of Thrones, the original Game of Thrones, had inexperienced showrunners too, and they had to completely reshoot the pilot and recast a bunch of it. And I think that if these showrunners had been faced with something similar to that, where there was a, hey, um, this is a bit messy, then I think this first season would have uh, been cleaner on its feet than I'm kind of anticipating that season two probably will be. Um, I think to the extent that I've read into interviews, um, they have said a lot about things that they learned in the process of making season one, um, which is, gee, that's that's a, a heck of a um, an entitled set of training wheels to have is the entire first season of the most expensive show ever made. Um, yeah. So congratulations to them for that. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, like the, the thing that that holds the show together is that as I find my mind drifting, it's kind of okay with this show. Like they're they're the 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 thing that I I will give them credit for is that the show having silences and things to look at that are pretty that you're not having to pay every you know attention every single crack of because you're about to jump ten years ahead or something like that or you you need to know the names of every single one of these characters uh, loads of these characters I, I forget precisely what their actual names are but I don't need to definitely know their names because I can actually tell people apart and I know who they are. And, and I, you know, when we jump back to a thread that we haven't been to in an episode and a half, I, I still remember roughly where we were. I, I, I never felt lost in this show and as many threads as they are dealing with and as many characters they're dealing with, um, not to damn with faint praise, but 
uh, boy, the problems in this first season could have been a lot worse. And I, I liked that the ties to the existing canon that people know, it, even if like people primarily know the Lord of the Rings movies and The Hobbit, um, the book, not the movies, because nobody uh, with good sense recommends those movies. Got, got to the end of the movies. Or got to the end <laughs> of them, uh, because I think I think the extended editions of The Hobbit movies are still going. Mm. Um, the ties to those original movies, uh, you know, for me, that we have so many new characters that are familiar enough in terms of character dynamics in other science fiction and fantasy stories is is great. And the two direct ties that that are named and we know who they are from the outset, played by Morpheth Clark and um, uh, Robert, uh, Aramayo. What's his, Robert Aramayo. Uh, yeah, so the, if, that's if Galadriel the two... and Elrond. They're elves, so they live forever, and they're almost and they're still around in Lord of the Rings as as Hugo Weaving and Cate Blanchett. And the, like the, they feel familiar enough. Sure, but it's not essential that they feel exactly like those performances because we're 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 so far far apart. Also, from those. there's shorthand, right? Like the yeah. Elrond and uh, Durin relationship is like um, the prequel <laughs> to to the relationship in Lord of the Rings between, uh, as we like to call them in our house, Elfie and Dwarfy. Um, so it's like the proto Elfie and Dwarfy. Uh, no, no skateboard tricks yet, yet, yet. Well, well, yet. well but, but, and, and this Elrond, his relationship with dwarves is not what the Elrond right, of a thousand yeah. years from now is. Sure, sure. But it, sure. it's, you know, I, I think that the, the show tries hard to, to sort of like remind you of like, oh, remember some of these relationships that you've seen in the movies and, you know, remember the setting and all that. I think it's interesting that this, the show is. Uh, and when we get to House of the Dragon, we can talk about this more. But like, these shows are totally different. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think the Rings of Power is about the setting. It is about a lot of really high fantasy sort of uh, tropes of the, you know the whether it's a prophecy or a, a, a good versus evil battle waged over in waves over thousands of years and the different uh the different races in middle earth and and the rise and fall of various kingdoms and it's like it's it's about that and it, and it's so you drink in the scenery um and i think house of the dragon's not like that at all but um but what i i, I think it's a hard yeah you know, i'm gonna do what moises did and say i think they did a better job than maybe I thought they would, given how difficult it is to navigate the franchise and people's expectations and Jeff Bezos's expectations, but also the expectations of the wildly popular and beloved Lord of the Rings trilogy from Peter Jackson and uh, have this limited story that they're allowed to tell. I think they I think that the show is OK, but I also agree that it is rough and messy and some of the storylines seem short, shorter than they need to be. And some of them seem to go on a bit too long for what they need to be. And I think that that's one of those things that maybe could have stood a rewrite. But 
by the time that the people working on this knew that it was too late, right? Like they had already started shooting it. And I think that, that that's just how it and, is. And honestly, like, I, I think they, they get by on just how compelling so many of these performances are with like, these are great performers working with mid material in a lot of cases. Um, you know, they're, on, they're a, not on a big budget. Right. And so it, it that smooths budget. out a lot, right? Like it looks great. They spent it a lot of money. Great. The costumes are great. The scenery is great. The actors are great. And the script is uh, serviceable, right? And like, you can kind of get away with it. Like Nazanin Bonyadi and, mm. and Ismail Cordova so, as yeah. as Bronwyn and Aaron Deere elevate some not so great, oh, hey, what's going on? What's the dynamic between these two kind of romantic tension? I mean, they, 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 make, it, they make it feel epic and great, even though the writing is not yeah. terribly there. Love to see Nazanin Boniati um, in this after her role in counterpart as the she's the oh, she's yes. the mom she's the mom who is uh, trying to keep I, everybody I, from I, I dying in the tower. I immediately distrusted her when I saw her on screen. I'm like, wait a <laughs> no. second, well, yeah. a different she's, she's a spy. <laughs> <laughs> she saw Ron. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. I feel like I it, Joe's talking about how he likes to talk about this show, and I realized I didn't talk about this show with anybody. Like, I mean, right, every once in a while. Stephen and I would mention it. And yeah. yeah, and now as happens so often, I'm talking to you guys and you're pointing out all of the like the cracks and the seams and the stuff that I totally didn't notice because I've discovered recently that I think I watch different shows for different things. Mm-hmm. Sure. And mm-hmm. if it's a show that is really set up around the plot, then I'm going to pay more attention to the way that the, the what the script looks like, how how the storylines are structured, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> but if they give me, if you give me a show that in the first couple of episodes, it's it's beautiful and it's got mm-hmm. great, uh, you know, like character. Like, like, it's, yeah. like this is all character Music relationships. Scenery this whole show. And character and I, uh, forgive yeah. me for being too California, Erica, but what I was going to say is this show is a vibe, um, <laughs> and it kind it, it kind of is where like you can just let it wash over you, and it's like oh, we're in Middle Earth, and there's. There's like Hobbit-like guys and there's elf guys and it's all like, and there's, oh yeah, okay, that's cool. Right. You can, you can do that, which I, again, I would argue House of the Dragon, you can't do that. That's not that kind of show, but here, <laughs> not it, at all. and I think that it works to its credit again, when, because it allows it to skate by maybe some of the things where you're like, well, wait a second, why did that happen? Um, <laughs> and, and it's worth noting that I actually would rather watch a show for the vibe and the characters and the interactions and stuff. You know, I'm the kind of person who is happy to just watch two characters, just, you know, kind of chill out together and have a mm-hmm. conversation that feels very much like those characters. Whereas, like, I've just been talking about the the finale of an era of Doctor Who and I watch it for a very different thing than a lot of a lot of fandom and I'm I'm discovering that that I don't really care if the uh if the writing is super tight and taut if I get the character development that I want and I feel like I totally did in this show. I'm so much less interested in a flowchart of who the various kings of the Southlands were than I am getting the Southlands, well, that, man. That 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 flowchart uh, got wet, it was so you don't get to... <laughs> it almost flowed away. Scroll, it's fine. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded, too. So, check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. 
All right, let's let's blast through these different uh, storylines. Just uh, I'd like your kind of quick hits about what you thought worked and didn't in them. Let's start with I'm actually going to roll together the elves and the rings and the dwarf shenanigans because they all kind of do actually go together because it's uh, the 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 elves are like oh oh we we're we're all fading away we need we need uh, we need to do something about that and then of course Elrond gets uh, has his buddy the dwarf and they found Mithril and it's got light and it can restore the elves but but anybody who's read those appendices knows this is also the it's Kellogg Brimbor <laughs> he's a great ring maker and he, uh. he it's like he makes the rings of power watch out for that guy um, yeah but they're the okay ones they're, and, the, they're the fine ones <laughs> yeah it's, it's fine but they all, were all deceived so um, I will just make these tactical <laughs> nuclear weapons nothing will happen and I you know, so the, the, the this is, and so we meet Durin, and Durin, Durin's dead. Durin, and you know, long line of Durins, and Durin's wife is awesome. Of his name, yeah. Uh, and they have dwarf. the elf, uh, elf, uh, dwarf bonding that goes on. But you know, Durin's dad, he's got, he's got some daddy issues there, and and uh, the the king of the elves is sort of a, a grumpy Gus, and is yeah, why so to give an example like of uh, of clumsy clumsy plotting. Like the the bit with so what we have to have happen here is they they discover Mithril, but Dad doesn't uh, want them to have it, but the son does, right? Like right. that that's what needs to happen plot wise for the drama there, right? But the reason they come up with in the writing to say why does the son want to go for this, but the dad doesn't? The dad's like, I'm not gonna risk dwarf lives because there's like cavens and stuff. It's like they they're dwarves. What they know how to mine. It's all they do. They literally dig out the insides of mountains all the time. Is there something specific about this one room where this stuff is that makes it? Oh, now we're gonna all die there. So we we can't like. It didn't make any sense from what we know of dwarves and what we see of their civilization that the dad would be super against this because two dwarves died in a cave, and it's either that happens all the time or they figured out how to shore things up so it doesn't happen, which is how they live in the mountains it doesn't make any sense and they just and that is a major motivator for a major conflict in the dwarf thread which is the father-son conflict over you know help the elves or not and that's the dad's reason unless there's some reason that i missed that he's actually well, just like making up an excuse because he hates he's elves or seen lord of the rings and he knows that if they dig too deep a balrog is gonna <laughs> he eat doesn't them all. know that that's what i'm saying like it just that's that's the type of thing where it's like okay that's good for a first pass but let's go over that again and give and i don't have any problem with with having a conflict there and having the son versus the father and have and in the end having elrond not get what he wants like and ha like that all make but you ha like put a little bit more effort into the yeah. into making that sensible and then they do such a poor job of i kept watching and thinking like when are we going to see the little wink that shows that's not his real reason his real reason is he's hoarding the mithril for himself or like but nope that's it he doesn't he's afraid of cavens and it's just well, and what john's pointing to i mean that's the that's the big risk and and difficulty of dealing in the prequel zone in whatever ip you're doing it in whether it's this game of thrones uh star wars uh star trek um all of this stuff is you're backing into something and you you there there are corners that no writer no matter how talented is going to be stuck in uh based on the given ip but it's it's a matter of not getting backed into all of the corners. And there were a few of them that that rang a bit hollow for me like that, where I, I like John, thought, well, there's got to be some other layer to the Dwarf King thing. Oh, no, it's just that he's a jerk. Um, and that's hmm. it. Huh. OK, well, um, but I don't know. As as I was kind of getting at earlier, I 
as many of of those things as I would run into, I kind of didn't care as much. It didn't bug me as much. Um, and and it, it, it didn't make me feel like, uh, you know, there was something from the appendices that they left out or it's something from the appendices that they shouldn't have put this far forward or this, any of that kind of thing. This story feels to me like the contractually obligated storyline, which is like, mm-hmm. well, we got to make the rings of power. It's in the name of the show. So we got to explain this. And like, I like the relationship between Elrond and, and Durin. Um, it is. And, and having Celebrimbor there is like, if you recognize the name, you're like, oh, no, that's the guy who makes the rings. That's not great. But it is, I, I think, the one that I, that le- like when I look back on watching the show, I'm like, yeah, I guess there was like, there were those scenes, the fun scenes with, with Durin and his wife and all of that, but like, is not my favorite part of the show. It feels though that it was necessary for plot reasons. And so we get some time there. And again, also elves proving that they are the Vulcans of Lord of the Rings and that mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. jerks. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I, you know, they're jerks. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. I didn't care about the 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 dad thing and the mithril thing for me it was i i loved watching two sort of estranged friends learning how to get back you know together to be friends again and you know grumpy dwarf very stereotypical but strange he was just there 20 years ago (laughs) (laughs) i I love that bit that was that's an example of a clever uh, you know working on working with the source material and 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 the idea that that this elrond is there's two different ways you can do the young character and they do both ways elrond is young and naive compared to hugo weaving right Mm -hmm. uh and galadriel is young and feisty and i love both of them yeah and like I just uh, Doran's like as soon as his wife appears and she's just like at the vi- I-, I liked her all the way through. I thought that their relationship was was very it was just great. Like and then by the end, we recognize that she's got like mm-hmm. probably more lust for power than even he got does. Some dark ambitions. Love I'm it. like, ooh, <laughs> this is getting getting even more spicy. So, yeah, so I was I was all about just like the the character interactions between basically those three and anytime dad was on like screen i was just like whatever fine i, I love the actor that plays the dad and i love oh, yeah. i think yeah. his performance was great like I, yep. I don't know why they just didn't go to the racism well like it's right there he hates elves you could <laughs> that could have that's the only motivation you need if it's so it's so relatable to real life and it's it's well it's established in the literature he could have just been like i'm literally never going to do anything that helps the elves and i hate that you have that elf friend because i hate elves because i'm elf racist that's it there's your motivation racism makes conflict so easy that, I know that, it's 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 right there in the story, but this is like no, I just cavens, man. It's like yeah. seriously, fire That's all like, those people. Those dwarves that, stink. You could get a that, Balrog. That, oh, Dad, there's no Balrogs down there. Yeah, what are you yeah, talking or they about? Could've, they could have been like, I've you know that wing we never dig there because that's where the Balrog lives, and and you could be like Balrogs don't exist. That's just a fairy tale. But yeah. they didn't do that way either. You know, obviously, no, like that that elevator conversation between Durin and Elrond. That's that for me is what pasted over the weird you know cracks in the mine, as it were. Like that's what didn't cave this story thread in for me like is is that and and other moments like it where i'm just having a good hang with these characters and i'm not as worried about some of the story logic being cranky. i don't know how the story goes because i'm not so steeped in the lore but i mean elrond by fellowship is not on great terms with uh with dwarves and what i really hope this show does is it's his, his friends coming back together and i want to see like the friends basically being pushed apart by events that they can't control where their allegiances end up having to be to their own, you know, race of people and, you know, kind of like a civil war brother against brother type of thing. 
Um, and so that'll that'll make this season, you know, it'll, it'll be a bittersweet thing. And this was kind of the sweet season where we get to see them reestablishing their relationship and they both really want to help each other, but they both have to deal with the the jerky people on each of their sides or whatever. And I think that could work well in future seasons because they're not going to end up in that same place, I imagine. Yeah, I wonder if the Dwarven Kings ever got any rings. <laughs> yeah. Well, what yeah. bothers me about this storyline, not so much the the dad part, but is is the whole reason why Elrond is there is because of a deception by Gil-Galad, who wants to pretend that everything's fine at the beginning of the series. And then they suddenly have a ticking clock about how the race is going to disappear uh, <laughs> towards the end of the series uh, that they weren't going to say anything about to uh, Elrond, except to make him feel bad about a promise he made. Um, so like that part of it is the part of the story that really just didn't work well for me is I didn't like anything that had to do with Elrond interacting with Gilgalad and the deceptions mm. that were going on around like why the reasons were that we need to go talk to the dwarves about making this special uh whatever it was not kiln but uh this special forge to make right. the the rings um and so we need dwarven labor and so then that way it can be a way to find out if they have mithril and then do all that stuff and then guilt him into that thing and it's just like this is so convoluted and weird you could have just like been direct about this process uh with elrond um from the beginning and i i, it, I never it never made any sense to me i think um, elves live so long that they don't know how to be direct and when there's a ticking <laughs> clock they have no idea what to do with it they're like yeah just convoluted plan all around oh dude that's i just kept work. thinking that some producer somewhere had to like go and learn everything about how metals are forged and write a report for that <laughs> and come back and they're like i gotta put sure this in this, this movie is i'm not sure this tv show is representative of how metals no, actually are forged they have some i think that I think that they did some research for it and then they put it in their little fantasy business. Okay, let's talk about um, another two kind of linked storylines, um, which is sort of Galadriel, who is, she like is convinced Sauron is coming back and they're like, you're inconvenient. We're going to send you to the West and get rid of you. And she's like, I'm going to just jump off the boat and mm -hmm. no. And she and a uh, uh, another guy she finds out on a raft <laughs> end up in Numenor, the island that uh it has it's very it's a very impressive island which i remember vaguely from lord of the rings is like a legendary island an atlantis sort of island that you know not that's bad news for mm -hmm. numenor mm -hmm. um and uh there we find out that they're kind of jerks who don't like uh they, they don't like uh uh elves and and uh supposedly this guy that is with uh, Galadriel is the, the king of the Southlands or something. They got to go to the Southlands because the Southlands are under siege and, and that's where the bad people are. And we need to, you, you guys need to come with us and we got to save the Southland. And of course we It'll also be the return get, of the king. Yeah. We also mm -hmm. get the, the uh, Southland stuff with uh, Nazanin Baniati as, as Bronwyn and her son and the, 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 the kind of mean guy uh, and, and the orcs are attacking them and it's, and they end up like kind of up in a tower and they're going to make, their last stand there so that all all is going on of course um what ends up happening is the numenorians are like yes we are gonna go and save them and they they load up their ships and they ride with their horses and their armor and whatever to the rescue of the southland it doesn't work out i, I did have a moment where i thought why do all the people who live on a little island and never go anywhere have a giant army of horse knights that doesn't really follow for they're me all, but i guess they okay. were all on the boats i mean we don't see what's behind that island we just kind of see the front side of it I mean, where i mean yeah but like has, what, why do they have an army of horse knights for a little island if well, they don't go anywhere it's behind the Maybe island it's not that the, little. Like, 
Yeah, so like, where did the where does the food come from? Like, the economy of okay. Numenor is very confusing. It is. It is. All right. All right. All right. I'll and they also that. talk about the either is it the south part of the island or something like where people mm-hmm. are clearly very different and have sort of different okay. mores. Yeah, and this stuff. is just so the New York City of Numenor. So, pretty, pretty big. So, um, I think this is the least effective part of the show because I think the Numenorians are super boring. I think the fact that they've got an old king who sees things, I guess, is not that interesting. I think that I like the, you know, there's a kind of like boys adventure where he's like, ah, oh, I'm going to, I want to sign up for this, you know, and yeah. it's, it, and, and, and it's, uh, it's, uh, a names, you know, sort of from Lord of the Rings mm. as, as, as people who are, are, uh, are, 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 will go down in history, or at least the fact that they own swords will go down in history, something like that. <laughs> so that's all there, but like the Numenor stuff, like they want, they, there was a moment Again, and I like the show, but like there's a moment where they sail into the harbor of Numenor and there are the big things and the music swells and I'm like, so? <laughs> so what? Who cares? I mean, you knew he was going to die. Like there's so many moving parts. So when you gave the summary of that, you left out the whole like, well, there's a father and he's got a daughter and a son and the son yeah. has two friends and the daughter is up to right. some weird shenanigans too with something that I can't even remember. And then the, the queen has the, the king and the king has a vision and they have a palantir and it's like all that stuff. Oh, and, yeah. Like all those parts move around and in the end, all we care about is they're going to go with Gladriel to Middle Earth and do some stuff. But in between, they had a lot of sort of pieces that they shuffled around the board to no end in this season. Like, right. other than like the queen, well, she's got that vision and the king's dead. And I'm still not entirely sure what with uh, Isildur's uh, sister, like what her deal is. I vaguely remember right. there was some stuff they were alluding to in her plot, but it had it came to nothing this season. Well, she so she, it, she she touched a, the, the Palantir and mm-hmm. then we don't see her again. Mm-hmm. And people who don't know what a Palantir is... I, 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 I assume they are completely lost as to why they watched that scene and then yes. it ended mm-hmm. and then they didn't see her again. The, the whole Numenor thread, I think, is the, mo- is, is the thing that suffers from the prequelitis the worst because it had the most furniture moving that it just had to do. Ugh. Did they have to do all the stuff about the into? city government? Like the guy yeah. with the beardy guy and the city government <laughs> oh and, the, and the guilds? Like oh, the, about the guild. I, I, excuse, excuse me, John, uh, you don't have the right badge. Uh, <laughs> you're not in the union. You're not allowed to right. talk about and, this and, part and of the And just like the, the, will of, the will of the people and the guy who can who can convince the people that we should go help the elf versus the other thing. And, and again, the, the, the daughter. So like, the daughter touches the Palantir in like one of the last episodes, but she's in the whole series doing all sorts of stuff. She's got a horse. She loves her brother. She's got friends. She's got this guy who's interested in her, and it's just like she just mills around until she touches that palantir and disappears. It's like nothing happens it, there. Like the, it felt like the collection of side quests that you have to do in something like Skyrim that you go, mm-hmm. I'm going to do those later. I'm, I mean, I know I have to. I know and I have to. When they do get I'm to the Southland, they it. ride into the Southland, a volcano explodes, they ride back out, they get back on their boats, they leave. The end. That's it for them. Great, great. Remember Erica. Isildur. Isildur will be <laughs> I, very important later. Oh, actually, before, uh, Erica, just just a second, because he mentioned Isildur. Sure. I'll also say, I mm. found that, how that was handled <laughs> particularly ham-fisted, because mm. they kill the kid we've been watching the whole season. You're like, oh, it's a shame the kid is dead. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, that kid, I recognize his name. That kid's not dead. But they, they're like, oh, no, 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 he's dead. And then in the next episode, there's like, oh, his you know, horses are bonded emotionally to their owners and, oh, his horse is leaving. Uh, it probably doesn't mean anything. And that's it. And I'm like, you know, 
Maybe none of us believe in prophecies. Maybe maybe they're trying to be subtle, but I think they just did a bad job of making it clear. Like the kid's totally not dead. That's why the horse is going. But the, and then they're just like, well, see you in a year and a half when the show comes back, and you won't remember any of this. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what happened to Isildur. It's a real mystery. Like, I, 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 you know, I, I I make a Game of Thrones comparison, not because this is the same kind of show as Game of Thrones necessarily, but Game of Thrones would occasionally have the oh. Sadly, that child of whoever died. We, the audience, know that they did not die. There's seven or eight indications in the show that they did not die. <laughs> but and everybody's like, yep, still, totally it, dead. It, yep, totally dead. Yep. But yeah. we, we, we kind of went with it in Game of Thrones. And in this one, it, it's kind of like... I, I just, can't believe everybody in the show is this from, stupid from a, that they all completely well, and, believe this. And from a viewer perspective, I feel like it just isn't isn't like put together very well. In it, terms it's, not, of, it's not a cliffhanger uh, if everyone in the audience already knows. It, and it's super <laughs> obvious, and yet the show also to sort of doesn't want to tell you. It's very strange. Erica, go ahead. Sorry about that. Yeah, I no, th- that's fine. I, like, I can't really disagree with anything. I, I thought the Numenor stuff was probably my least favorite as well. Um, I'm, I'm glad that a lot of it existed. I just wish that it would have been a little bit shorter. Like, I'm... I'm I'm happy to have gotten the intera- the family interaction between Isildur and uh, his both of his kids, uh, or sorry, with Elendil and both of his kids. Yeah. Um, I was like, wow, Isildur, he's the prat I expected him to be. Great. Um, so, like, really, I was just like, yeah, I know he's not dead, but I kind of wish he was. And uh, and I liked I liked his sister. And I was interested in that because, like, I'm always interested to be like, okay, how are women treated in this society? They have a queen. So that's, like, really, you know, kind of exciting and cool. And she's she's getting into a guild. That's nice. Good for her. Um, I did kind of wonder why we were getting so much of her until the very end where she touches the Palantir. And then I was like, okay, well, obviously something else is going to happen next season. <laughs> so this was all prologue <laughs> for the next season. Yeah. That was that was the whole point of, of her character stuff. I definitely could have done with less of the city politics. But again, I felt like, I mean, to me in the end, I was like, okay, well, I guess again, that's possibly prologue stuff or whatever's going to happen next season because we haven't seen Numenor destroyed yet and it's going to happen. So uh, so maybe we're supposed to care about the the politics of the city. I just didn't um, in, in order to care about the, the like what's going to go down in terms of like how are we going to actually see that destruction come about? What's going to lead to it? They've probably planted a lot of seeds. Um, but honestly, most of the time I was just sort of paying attention to Halbrand and what kind of nonsense he was getting up to and trying really hard not to ship him with Galadriel and I failed 100%. So, yeah. Balance balance is the big thing that bugs me about about the Numenor stuff specific to Elendil's kids where in the, you know, the 5 seasons, 5 minutes uh of of Lord of the Rings prologue, we we know that Isildur is going to is going to be a a big part of that fifth minute. Um I don't know that we needed to see as much of him this season as mm-hmm. as we did and I think they could have they could have gone imbalanced in favor of his sister who we don't know as well as um even those of those of us who know Isildur just a little we we know we know he plays a very integral role at some point later on I still can't remember his sister's name um so mm-hmm. she is definitely not already built out for me in terms of what role I know that she plays in all of this stuff. So they could have spent more time with her and had more free reign like they do with some of the Southlanders, um, like, uh, like Bronwyn. Um, and I, I wouldn't have been 
thinking as actively, ah, yes, this is the thing that they have to do because of this. And I guess they're, they they tried too hard to give Isildur a big hill to climb rather than just letting him climb a big hill. Yeah. Well, also Isildur basically just daydreams um, and then gets in trouble for daydreaming. Mm-hmm. And then he breaks his friends choices. down. Yeah. And so it's like this, this, who, who, how are we supposed to root for or expect anything of him? Um, the sister, unfortunately, I don't think they did anything with uh, that I would have expected or wanted more. But you, I mean, they could have written a lot more stuff for her to have done. She um, did a bunch of things, but none of them led me to like, oh, and that's why she went and touched the Palantir. No. She happened to touch, yeah, she she touch the Palantir by accident. Oh, I they, happened to be here when the thing happened and I saw mm-hmm. a thing and I touched it. But there's nothing in her character. She was in all the episodes doing all sorts of things and none of those things said, and that's why she touched the Palantir. No, she touched yeah, it nope. because she happened yeah. to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, the only, th- the only thing I can think of is that they set up her conversations with Farazan's son um, to be anti uh, war effort, I guess, or anti go to Middle Earth effort. Um, oh, so that perhaps when she God. sees something in the Palantir, she'll do something the next Numenorean season. But it's just like, politics. I can't. We're, oh, we're, we're never no. going to remember any of this stuff. Of the yeah. Trade <laughs> federations. <laughs> I, the, 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 the Numenor thread is all furniture moving, and they made Isildur's sister do all of the furniture moving and never gave her a name tag so that we could remember her name uh it's iarian i think but it's got an umlaut on the a so who knows how they pronounce that as you write your life story you're far from finished are you looking to close the book on your job maybe turn a page in your career be continued at the georgetown university school of continuing studies our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Anyway, uh, before we move on to the Harfoots, um, we need to at least mention also that this from this thread comes uh, a couple of things. One is uh, Halbrand, (laughs) guy found Mm. on a raft, who is Mm. actually uh, Sauron. He's the winner of the uh, who who's who's secretly Sauron in this season of Secretly Sauron. Um, <laughs> he, uh, which you know, I I think it's a fun moment in the last episode where he suddenly is. Uh, oh, I, I was so sick, and then he's up and he's like, "So, Celebrimbor, let's make some rings." <laughs> and you're like, mm, yep. "Why that happened really fast?" But uh-huh. if I have a criticism, it is. Um, I don't think they set it up very well. I think that they were so afraid of everybody knowing obviously that he was Sauron that they didn't see. This is the problem is like, Oh, we don't want the internet to figure it out. By the way, the internet totally figured it out anyway, but like, Mm. so what (laughs) we're going to do is we're not going to give any information suggesting that he is this so that when it happens, it's a complete surprise. That's bad writing. (laughs) I hard disagree. Absolutely not. Uh, Because all the rest of the people are like the wisest and coolest of the elves and they were and like this is the thing that i actually knew you know going in from reading all this stuff that they were all fooled by sauron because he was able he was so good at his job mm-hmm. that he's able to take on a fairer form and completely snow 
everybody else. And I think the fact that he also snowed me as an audience member and a lot of other people and that he wasn't written to give any clues away. To me, that's a huge strength that I think I would have been really annoyed. I, I, if they would have my, given my me problem enough. with it is that is that in the final episode, they don't try at all. Right. Like you could have had it <laughs> yeah. be that they withhold and withhold and withhold and withhold until that moment. But no, as soon as they roll the credits on episode eight or whatever, and it's in that episode where there's not going to be any spoilers or a week between bits mm. of speculation he's just very transparently sauron at that point mm-hmm. and before that he's completely sure. opaquely not sauron and it, it felt to me like very manipulative of me as an audience member and of the internet and not of the characters in the story and that's what bothered me is like mo- the mm-hmm. moment that switch gets flipped in episode eight it's clear from moment one that he's sauron when before we haven't well, had any I, inkling i of didn't it. figure it, it out quite that, that quickly that, that bugged me <laughs> Short of them putting a spiky metallic mustache on him. <laughs> he, throw, he throws a shadow against the wall that's shaped he, like This Sarah. guy seems like he could be the king, but he really likes pointy hats. Hmm. Yeah. It's bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the traditional way to do this on TV shows is to have multiple people who seem a little evil. So, for example, the little boy, the Bronwyn's little boy. Right. So he's isn't interacting with evil artifacts. He seems like he might be kind of into them. He's a suspect. Obviously, you got uh, um, uh, Andor, not Andor. Andor. You know, Adar. Adar. The the, 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 the Uruk, yeah. who who they're like, aha, you are Sauron. He's like, no, 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 no. He's got not the, me. He's the he's the obvious one, but of course that's your like you can have a bunch of people who seem like they could be on the path to the dark side. If Halbrand also seemed like he was kind of on the path to the dark side, like he was kind of shady, you'd ha- you could have four people who seem kind of shady. You got then you got the white elfy people with the white eyebrows and stuff. Uh, instead of having three people who seem kind of shady and one person who is above reproach until an episode when he's obviously shady. And that is that, (laughs) you know, you just have, because if you, if you want to keep it a secret, you don't want people to figure out, you got to have multiple plausible, uh, you know, suspects. And I think them making him so kind of wishy-washy, aw shucks, gladriel, (laughs) the series makes him that that's why the internet figured it out. It's like, they're, they're trying too hard with this dude and who the hell is he anyway? I guess I'm glad I didn't read the internet. <laughs> well, it's a evergreen tweet. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, they they uh, they had a, a a thing that bothered me in retrospect from his reveal as being Sauron when you know he rolls up and he feels better and he's like, let's make some alloys. Uh, when we go back to his time in Numenor and you think about, oh well, he wanted to be uh, a, a, a the metal worker and a blacksmith and. Uh, make all this stuff and do all this stuff. He just wanted to chill out and be part of the guild. And then he got beat up in an alley. And it's like, why, if you're Sauron, why, why are you doing that? Why was Sauron on a raft in the water? Like, what was the point of any of that? They, they had an explanation. Didn't they have a plot explanation for why he was on the raft? Like he was basically cast out. Or he whatever. was on a ship with uh, a bunch of people, and the ship got hit by that big monster thing. And he and several other people were still on the raft. And then the monster came back, got them again. He was the one. only one that lived. Well, and, suspiciously. The monster is actually Sauron. And, and, and the suspicious thing, the suspicious thing, even then, was that he was on the raft with the people, and they were all shipwrecked by the monster. But he was on a different ship than the other people, mm-hmm. so he didn't have his own. Uh, <gasps> you yeah. know uh, mm-hmm. alibi if so for me the the reveal made re- made me retrospectively dislike the red herrings that i was liking because i i was not even certain that an individual person was sauron right. or if sauron was an entity that that could that could um that could take someone over or something if anything they they set up a more interesting and intricate thing then they ended up executing. Yeah. Well, if they had done like a Derek Jacoby is the master kind of a thing where he mm-hmm. like realizes 
you know, kind mm-hmm. of uh, that I he's thought Sauron. It was maybe going to be that yeah. somewhere along the line. Yeah, yeah. me too. But, which it would have been with a stranger. He was consciously choosing not to be Sauron until he consciously chose to be Sauron. And then they don't explain why he consciously chose that at all. Well, it, it, because he's such a genius, Joe. That's why. <laughs> His master he was plan. so close. He just couldn't hold back any longer. I'm not entirely convinced about... Although, okay. So he, he, he basically... There's the last temptation of Galadriel, um, mm. which is, I think, a fun scene where he's like, Hey, I'm cool. I'm not the old Sauron. You <laughs> c- you hang around with me and be my evil bride mm-hmm. and we'll be less e- and sh- you, you but you'll be good and I'll be evil and we'll like meet in the middle and be kind of um you know in the middle there and uh You might say all would love her in despair. I think it's mm. well this is it. What I like about that scene is I think it's an interesting move where you're like, oh, well, I didn't expect that. And also it is deliberately referencing when she's offered the ring and mm-hmm. says uh, in Lord of the Rings and is like uh, in that great speech, basically, oh, you, you I would destroy everything. Don't give it to yeah. me. As, uh, as beautiful and terrible as the dawn or whatever. Her yes. And are, I will yeah. go yes. in the West and diminish instead. Thank you very much. So like I like that about it. I'm not sure it actually makes sense for the, what Sauron is like really like I he's I, just got the hots for her I yeah mean, understandable. I, I, like, I like the idea that he might be tempted to be like you know I was thinking absolute evil but I really like you so maybe we could temper my evil a little <laughs> like, I'm not cool. sure he's into the tempering it's 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 really I mean power is at the root of it and he was he wasn't he wasn't the head honcho before like he was not in right. charge mm-hmm. he was he was second to to Morgoth so I mean the idea of ruling along with someone else, someone with, you know, whom you are much more powerful than. Always two there are. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> like, I feel like that that kind of made sense from a, a character perspective in terms of, of what we had, uh, what we got. You don't need a, a deep character motivation to know why you'd want uh, this, the uh, Gladriel as your dark queen. I mean, I feel like everyone does, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's, okay, she's John. I, I like the idea that from Sauron's perspective is like, you know, if we take him in his word and he's the master of lies, so probably not. But just saying the idea where it's like, yeah, to have a pal, I will I will be less evil for you so I can have a pal. Oh, no, that's totally a thing an evil person tells you. To, yeah, I know, you, I know, I know. But getting back to the, the Numenor thing, I mean, he, we already know that he had been trying to do some forging because that happened very early on at the very beginning before Galadriel was even sent away. She discovers the, the, the forge and stuff. Uh, so my thought was that he was trying to get to Numenor and that was why he had himself, quote unquote, shipwrecked because he thought that they might have the technology for him to be able to Make rings know, do power. what he needed to do to yeah. create to create the rings of power there. And then Galadriel wants to go to Middle Earth and like he ends up just you know going with the flow eventually the right. way that he has to to get what he wants. It's a good con He's going, He yeah. wants to find the biggest and baddest forge and he eventually does. He's like, no, oh, that's does, a forge. No, this is the, I, the, the Numenor one was crap. This is much better. <laughs> and once once he gets to that forge, oh boy, he, he all but just starts... Uh, pr- like uh, sneaking around like a devil in a oh, in a yeah. 1930s cartoon. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's here it's, I go. Once the like I like I said, I think that was totally what really bothered me is that once that episode starts, it's like we're not trying anymore. He's gonna just super be just be evil, and and you're gonna figure it out. Uh, yeah, but he kind of does that in Numenor too. You know. I don't know. I, I didn't read it that way. Uh, before no, we he move just on, makes, like some junk. Before we move on, I want to mention uh, again Edar the the Uruk, uh, just because I like this character. He's a bad guy, but he's unrepentantly bad. And yet there is that moment where he's like, 
uh, where they're like, you're orcs. And he's like, we prefer Uruk. And he's like, mm-hmm. I got a whole history. And they're like, well, you were an elf and you were corrupted. And he's like, yes. But like, I, I like it because it is an attempt for the show to basically say orcs are not just baddies who are cannon fodder understand mm-hmm. them a little bit we have a name and it's not the name you gave us i think that's all kind of cool and he is a good adversary for the people of the southlands in that segment i think that i thought that was a surprisingly interesting fun uh bad guy character with some nuance like he it was i liked it if there's a bigger structural failing for me uh, 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 about the show, it's that I'm way more interested in him than I am Sauron as an antagonist. <laughs> yeah, he's he's very emo. I mean, he, yeah. he didn't doesn't fit with the Sauron vibe. I think it's the the problem with, with Sauron is, is like what we know of him from the movies is he's not really a character. He's just a, you know a, a force. A, right yeah exactly right and and if you're gonna make him a dude like you you basically get to write that from whole cloth uh but you know uh what's adar didn't seem like the sauron kind of dude he just seems just super emo about his whole situation and deal and yeah he's evil but he's also sad i think we're gonna i think there's gonna be some interesting interplay between him and sauron in future seasons which should be fun harfoots let's talk about harfoots quickly before we we go they're uh proto hobbits they're they're gonna be hobbits when they settle down in in the shire Mm -hmm. but right now they're uh they're nomads and they they go from place to place and they're little and they got to avoid being killed uh so they hide um and then of course the the meteor comes down and there's a there's a guy in it and they save him and uh it is uh well you know who is that guy and i'm thinking well <laughs> come on it's, it's, a, you think it is. it's a wizard <laughs> and it's probably the one you're thinking of um <laughs> but they but we meet there's adorable harfoots there's the there's the two uh, two girls and there's there's uh, lenny henry uh and they have a little I think the emotional heart of Lord of the Rings, right, is the hobbits and and mm-hmm. and and their relationships and their relationships to the wider world. And I got to say, I think they did a pretty good job with these characters. They they are not quite hobbits because they are nomads, but you've got some of the same kind of charming hobbit uh, silliness and nonsense. And uh, it's hard not to read what we see in season one, even before there's any reveals, as being, oh, that's why Gandalf likes hobbits so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So going into the show, I knew Lenny Henry was in the show. Watched the whole first episode. He disappeared into the role of Sadik so well for me mm-hmm. that I was like, I can't wait until Lenny Henry shows up <laughs> in the show. <laughs> Yep. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. good. It's yeah. my these are my favorite just because yes, it is these are the the heart of of all of it for me. Um but I also like too that this is like we find out in the Lord of the Rings that hobbits are really tough creatures. Like they can handle a lot. And it's kind of fun to go back into, you know, their ancestors' history and be like, "Oh, yeah, this is this is stuff that they used to do all the time. They traveled around like this." And I I like I said, I was not convinced that Halbrand was Sauron until like the, you know five minutes before the actual reveal. I had half convinced myself that they were going to be really mean to me and that the stranger wasn't going to be Gandalf and it was actually going to be Sauron. They tried to be very very annoyed and for a while it worked and I even had like this whole thing worked up in my head like oh yeah the Shire manages to stay completely unnoticed for so long. Maybe it's because maybe it's because little Nori planted a a tiny seed of of goodness in, in Sauron. <laughs> hard that's absolutely ridiculous but i certainly had myself believing it for a while so i feel like the show did a nice job of deflection because i was not alone in that because that was a corner of the internet that did spill over into my eyes to uh to have seen 
that conspiracy theory come up. And I was I was very uh, amused by it and also super amused by the reveal that he is Sauron. And then, oh, wait, no, you're wrong. Nope. I mean, the the thing I like most is that the the as different of shows as this and House of the Dragon are, um, all of the all of the Martin uh, stuff is is Tolkienist deconstruction, and this Tolkien Tolkien stuff that we are watching now, we're looking at it through the lens of oh, what incredibly complex and compound thing is this, and you know how are they trying to fool us? And and uh, as we've learned in this first season, yeah, uh, he was this guy was sour on the whole time. This guy was Gandalf the whole time. <laughs> it was pretty obvious in both cases. But thinking thinking that it was more complex than it was is what ended up fooling us rather than it actually yeah. being mm-hmm. incredibly uh, intricately plotted or anything. And I, I think that's kind of beautiful. Yeah, well, the, again, uh, having having the uh, identity uh, and the stranger and his various struggles with his identity lasts so long. Like, there was just too much of it. Like you hit that note like 17 times. Uh, and it's like not that I dislike going back to the Harfoot thread, but I didn't need to see the stranger be concerned. You, you keep the, the three best scenes. Keep the I'm a peril. Right. Keep him healing somebody. And that's basically it. That's all you need. You don't need the seven other times he does weird stuff. Um I didn't. I don't know. Maybe it just washed over me because I don't remember that many scenes with just, him. Being every worried. time I went back to him, like, is something going to happen? No, the stranger's still confused. Here's why anyway. I think that that here's why I disagree with you, John. I viewed those scenes as being enjoyable because I thought the Harfoots yeah. were enjoyable, and and mm-hmm. I so I wasn't just invested in it to see the identity of the stranger. I was enjoying the Harfoots, and that but, but they, it, that they was had the, the same reaction to him being weird. Like they they did the same scene like six times. Yeah, but but you've got to have hang time to enjoy the hang with these folks I, I, think Otherwise, they, I think they should have had him settle into like the, the 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 normal one of you get some stranger who doesn't know who he is he doesn't know who he is for an episode and a half but then he settles into the amnesiac friendly guy and then he eventually becomes who he is and we never got the settling into amnesiac friendly guy with this well, he, every episode he had some weird freak out and and was concerned about himself and made mm-hmm. trees bend and it was just I, he, he didn't remotely wear out his welcome as as much as Isildur did for me yeah I mean he wasn't as annoying as Isildur yeah. he was, I, I like the character don't get me wrong I liked his whole thing I liked I liked his I am a peril thing. I, I liked his interaction with things. I just felt like they hit that note too many times. Those too same. Um, All right. Yeah, and the and the, the Harfoots thing. Like this is so they have you know they're obviously the proto hobbits and they have the same tension, which is uh, our culture is we stay on the trail. But of course, some among us uh, are, you know, are adventurous. And that is something that is frowned upon. But of course, our heroes are going to be the adventurous ones. And Nori and her friend are a little bit more adventurous than your average hobbit. And like that is the whole sort of foundation of the Lord of the Rings thing is that tension and or, or the hobbit for that matter. Mm-hmm. These little people who aren't that important, who are in a culture that discourages this, but they are outside of that. And it turns out they're super tough. Right. Um and they, they hit that same note here, which makes absolutely sense because these are going to be the proto-hobbits. But the as far as I can tell, the Harfoots are not the center of the story. Like none, One of them is not going to be called upon to carry anything anywhere for, for over <laughs> the course of six really long movies, right? And so now they're just another moving piece. And it's interesting to see without without that... I mean, I feel like, you know, what is the focal point? So you get, there's so many moving parts in Lord of the Rings, but you say, well, the Hobbits, they're, they're the focal point. They wander through this whole story. They're the most important thread, even though there's tons of other threads. What is the most important thread in, in Rings of Power? I don't think it's the Harfoots, but then who is it? I it's, guess it's Gladriel. Uh, well, I, I, think it's, I think it's important that it's none of them, because yes. unlike Lord of the Rings, this story is about a big thing happening and changing the world. Mm -hmm. And we're getting slices of different life experiences in the world of middle earth. And it's, it's something that 
prequelitis makes you go, oh, who's the Luke Skywalker of this? Well, guess what? This isn't a Luke Skywalker, Skywalker saga, one chosen hero thing. This is a, a bunch of people uh, collectively uh, experiencing a thing in, in which we gather a lot or most of them will will cross each other's paths, but aren't necessarily I, I don't think in that fifth minute. We're going to have all of our central characters in these different threads all be in the same place at the same time at the very end of the climax of everything. But instead, I think cross paths in different contexts as we go. And I'm good with that because I've seen a million of the other very Joseph Campbellian thing. Now, I'm wondering where the Harfrets end up, though, because the Harfrets aren't in that first five minutes. <laughs> I do think it's Fellowship. important that Gandalf gets a sidekick, though. Yeah, it, it's Nori and, and, and her wizard friend are the important pieces moving forward, I think. Yep. Yeah. Do we even know if we're getting Harfoots next season? Like, maybe we're not. I think just Nori, probably, but who knows? Mm -hmm. That's my guess. And her, 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 probably Gandalf wizard friend, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, since Galadriel got the opening with the ice climbing and all that stuff, she definitely feels like the mover and shaker because A, she is the Cassandra saying, hey, guys, Sauron, and no one listens to her, right? And it's kind of, she's right. We know she's right, right? And we know she lives and we know she's super important. And we, we know so much about her that she is so focal and important. And then they, on top of that, they give her this personal motivation of her brother and everything. And I just, I found her performance very compelling. I love that actor. And I'm she was my focal point of the thing because I was really yes. I liked her plot line. I liked her being pissed off and no one listens to her and she dives off the boat and that whole thing. But in the end, she's not cutting anyone's rings off their fingers. Right. She's not yeah. Gandalf. Right. Yeah, and but so, she, might, she might be an important piece of the, the solution to the puzzle in the end, along with Gandalf and that kid who's probably dead, except his horse doesn't think so. <laughs> More than any other character, like Galadriel is the most central character to all the stuff that's going on. Mm -hmm. But the entire narrative doesn't hang on her shoulders to the point that we ever go, okay, all right, we get it. This is the Galadriel show. And also here <laughs> yeah, are her I seven never, friends. I, I never went, where's Galadriel when she wasn't on screen? I never felt that way when I was like, where the hell is Nori when I didn't see her for a while? I can't wait for her to get to the forge and make the, oh, no, no, we don't want her to go there. All right. Um, we spent a lot of time on on uh, the Rings of Power. It's interesting. They spent a lot of money. It comes back probably in like a year and a half because hmm. they just started shooting it. It's going to take forever. In uh, London. The one wrap up thought yeah. that I wanted to mention before we left it behind is that um, I like that. Yes, there are very lawful, good kind of characters that it is easy for us to identify with and root for. There are more complex characters. There are characters that present a certain way and we see a little bit of a change with them like uh like the dwarf queen to be uh where we go oh there oh maybe 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 she is where elrond's uh distaste from dwarves ends up coming from because they start out being really great but there's something else going on under the surface with her there there there's a there's a, a gradient of complexity of characters uh where it isn't it isn't all one thing or another and so there are different pockets of, of things to get interested in and get lost in. And I, I look forward to having a season under their belt, seeing uh, what what this show develops into from season two on. Any other final thoughts about Rings of Power? Uh, the only thing that I truly did not like about the show was in the opening credits when we get, you know, there's cool sand moving around and there's some nice music and stuff. And then suddenly 
the the title card pops up way too soon looking cheap and cheesy and it's just <laughs> like did we yeah. just jump back to 1985 am i watching growing pains like it was just it, that's the only thing that i yeah, genuinely don't that like money and, the, and that's the those are the letters that they use yep. Yep. Anyway. show me those rings again <laughs> I love the music though. I do. I do yep, like yep. the. Uh, unlike oh, the, the show we're beautiful. about to talk Pyramid about, they had the decency to make their own music, and it sounds good. Yeah. Well, it was interesting about that because it's like you guys said that title card is terrible, uh, and it, it's that weird like <laughs> so bad <laughs> yellow gradient thing, and it's like that's not even what the like mineral stuff blowing around looks like. Uh, but the nope. uh, but Bear McCreary's score for the series is amazing, and I think it's funny that they chose to have Howard Shore just do the opening titles. <laughs> yeah, make it sound um, like Lord of the Rings. But they're good yeah. opening titles. Legally I like them. Indistinct. He yeah. did it. Good yeah. job. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just it's just funny because it's yeah. just like we need we need this for cred, so we want Howard Shore. But it's like mm-hmm. Howard Shore's not going to score eight episodes of a right. TV series for you. Bear McCreary will score that, and yeah. I think Bear McCreary did an amazing job yeah. scoring this this series. All right, Erica, thank you mm-hmm. for being here thank you. to talk mm-hmm. about Lord of the Rings: Colon the Ring of Rings of Power. <laughs> Colon, the, ep- some... the prologue, colon, right. prologue season. Love my punctuation. Um, and we are going to move on. Mm-hmm. So bye, Erica. Goodbye, all. Have fun. So now let's move on and talk about House of the Dragon. Uh, probably not for as long as we did for Lord of the Rings. Please. Because yeah, so. this mm-hmm. is not going to be a two and a half hour episode, please. Nope. Um, uh, House of the Dragon. Okay, so here's the story. Uh, obviously... Game of Thrones was a huge hit, one of the biggest shows ever. And it didn't really end well for almost anybody. So there was real question, I think, about whether they were going to be able three years down the road to pick up and get the public interested in something, even though the show had been such a big hit, because... Uh, there was a perception that it kind of didn't end well. And, you know, we know very much that just because one thing was popular does not mean it is a franchise. We've seen that over and over again. So they make this thing. They they First, they make another pilot and they bury it because they didn't like it. But they liked this idea, which is you go back 100 years and you have sort of like this this war over the throne based on the, the various uh, parts of the Targaryen house and who is going to take the Iron Throne. And, and that's what this House of the Dragon ends up being. It is ambitious. It has lots of time jumps. It has multiple actors playing characters, uh, playing the same character. You get to the end... And as I mentioned with Lord of the Rings, you get to the end and you get the feeling like this was... Uh, Lord of the Rings prologue, House of the Dragon prologue. It's a prologue to the prologue again, because it feels very much like this whole season is there to set up what they actually want to do, which is have a whole bunch of wars over who gets to be uh, the ruler of Westeros. But they have to set it, they want to set it all up so you know all the backstory and all the character connections and all of that. Um, it is, it, it did well in the ratings. I think it showed that there still was interest in people seeing a Game of Thrones story. I think, uh, what do I, I, I have very mixed feelings about this show. What I will say is, I think it's a shame that it gets paired with Lord of the Rings. Hi, hi, I'm the monster, it's me. I did it for this episode. <laughs> but, yeah. I, I, because although they are theoretically fantasy shows, House of the Dragon is a, a, about, politics plus dragons 
Um, but poli- dragons as tools of politics. And Lord of the Rings is what we think of as a traditional fantasy show. House of the Dragon, you know, it's like, you know. Palace intrigue with dragons and horror. Yeah, I mean, it could be like Succession or something like I mean, like it is It is seriously only it is succession. somewhat trapped. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's Succession with a great deal more incest. I mean, it's literally Succession, I suppose, in some ways. Um, but, but here's the thing. I think there are good things in House of the Dragon. I found scenes when characters are standing around talking in House of the Dragon to be riveting in a way that I very rarely find those scenes. There's the scene in the last next to last episode when the king dies and they have the small council meeting and they're basically putting their kind of coup plan into effect. Uh, and how is everybody going to react? And I thought it was really riveting. And it is just a bunch of guys sitting around a table talking to each other. I think that there were moments where they where they really did a good job, but again, it is an inexperienced writer. Um, this time paired with a director who has experience doing Game of Thrones, so they they were able to produce this thing. It's not a high fantasy show like Lord of the Rings. It is about just bloody succession. And then there's all the baggage, which is George R. R. Martin wants it to be about incest and about and about uh, women having bad pregnancies, and so it is those things. Uh, there are there are characters that behave wildly inconsistently. I'm I'm looking at you, Matt Smith. I love Matt Smith. I think this character is really interesting, but I, I don't know what he's doing from episode to episode although it's very clear that they had a they paid him by the word because in a couple of episodes he doesn't say anything he just glowers and in one episode he doesn't say anything until the very end and then he has one line and they're like thanks matt we'll pay you for the one line you just have to stand here the rest of the time i don't know i find i watched every episode i thought there were a lot of things about it that were entertaining i'll watch it next year but it's got a lot of things that I think are, are like really wrong with it. Um, you know, I was more generous to, um, the original than a lot of people were. (laughs) Um, I think that the, I think that Martin at his best is trying to say, Oh yeah, all your pretty fantasy stories with Kings and Queens. Uh, but the actual history on which that was based, it was terrible for everybody. Um, and all the people involved were dislikable and you shouldn't have any characters that you can really Right, which which uh, is a problem when you're with. making a show. Also, also I'll, I I want to throw one more thing and then I, I I swear I'll open it to all of you and you can get your get your feelings out. Um also, the original Game of Thrones had multiple storylines like Lord of the Rings where you learned about the world and the different families and also like the people who are higher up and the people who are lower down because one of Martin's more effective things is also, kings and queens and lords, they suck, and it's bad for the rest of society. And House of the Dragon's like, let's just stick with the kings and queens this time. And I didn't really appreciate that either. And I think it really suffers from not having multiple storylines. Uh, maybe they will in season two, but in this prologue, it's sort of like, what if we only ever were with the Lannisters in King's Landing for all of Game of Thrones? It's like, no, no, don't do that. So I, uh, I, I thought there were good things about it, but I think that there, it, it was, um, it was not, it was not so hot. Well, that's what Succession does too. Succession stays with the with the kings the whole time too. It's a different kind of show, but it it is similar in that. Show you know, me succession... the show me the cousin Greg in this show. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I there probably is a cousin Greg lurking. I mean, you have you have Masaria who is as close as you get to the people type thing. Well, I'll say this about House mm. of the Dragon. 
I feel like when comparing the uh, the you know the Rings of Power in this show, that the actors and characters in House of the Dragon felt more more sophisticated to me than than the ones in the Rings of Power. Yes, uh, I totally agree with you that <laughs> some of them are not handled well, and Matt Smith in particular. And I really didn't like the the uh, the actor change uh, with the time jumps, but. You know, just looking at the faces of these people on a web page showing list of characters, so I can remind myself who I I can see these people, and I I remember the you know th- their feelings and their motivations at various times sure. in the cho- in the chop suey that was this you know like this totally shredded to bits uh, timeline of this program, which is my main complaint about it. But it like of all the things that it has salvaged from uh, from uh, Game of Thrones, in which I think I think Game of Thrones was incredibly well constructed for the first several seasons, right? Um, what they salvaged here is characters that eventually, despite the show's best efforts, you will come to know and care about despite them being incredibly flawed and very often not likable. And some of them even have a a small amount of an arc. So Mm -hmm. I, I felt like, you know, if it's, I'm not going to say maturity because the show is immature in many ways as well, but it felt, it felt slightly more sophisticated, which makes all of its terrible failings, which I will detail in a bit, uh, all the, all, all the more heartbreaking because Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings is a kind, uh, a kind sort of middle of the road thing that made some stumbles and house of the dragon is very often an ill considered squandering of, uh, you know, good performances. John, I, I, my opening statement hooks directly into what, you had there and what Jason ended his with my biggest issues with house of the dragon. Now in retrospect, having seen the whole first season uh, were exactly what I felt like I was calling at the beginning, which is their conceptual problems with this show. Jason, you mentioned the pilot that they made for a totally different uh, Westeros show set far, far, far in the past before Aegon's landing, before there were Targaryens um, uh, on, on that continent and everything that they scrapped. I think they made the wrong show because this one is hamstrung way more by prequelitis yeah. um, due to what it was adapting than anything else where um, Martin in an interview recently said he thought that they should have started 40 years earlier. And he said, oh, but then they would have had to do more time jumps. The, the time jumps aren't as much the problem as the rapidity with which they happen, not just where they switch from one Alison Rhaenyra to another Alison Rhaenyra, but I just lost track of how, uh, of who was what and, and who I should care about whether you like people or not. I, I think it's possible to make a show all about villains, but give me some time to get invested in these characters, not like them. I'm not talking about like ability. I'm talking about, wait, whose incestuous <laughs> kid with their sister yeah. chopped off whose finger. Like I, I, I got lost not because I think I'm an unsophisticated viewer. People will probably write in and say that, yes, I very much am. And this is a perfect show, which it is very much not hmm. um, th- that like the, the thing that killed me the most was, uh, was not that there weren't interesting moments and cool set pieces and that sort of thing. But to me, this feels like a show that, that, that is very much ruled by the wrong kind of whiteboard where HBO went. So red wedding, we're going to want about three of those in the first season. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. and we're going to want them spaced out exactly thus and such. What if we're all, gonna market it this what if way. all the characters Episode- wear weird white wigs and have sex with each other, even though they're related to each other? Like, oh, good note, let's, George. Let's do that. And- Let's make sure that we make you know the first uh, attempt at on-screen incest look pretty sexy, and then let's make sure the second time we go there with a sex scene, let's make sure we really sex that up. <sighs> yeah, mm. I mean, who who out there was like, you know what? I think it's time for us to really bring incest as a topic to the fore. That, that's gonna that's gonna be a thing. A cosmopolitan that we do. Cosmopolitan Sex and Relationships editor wrote an op-ed about how. Game of Thrones has finally, I mean, incest is actually pretty hot. Had to delete the tweet. It was a whole thing. <laughs> what show are they watching? Ugh. I don't here's, know. Here's, here's the thing. It is, I think the idea of this show underneath it all is a perfectly good one, which is, it is a bunch of different people with claims to the throne and they're going to fight it out. Like, that sounds like Game of Thrones to me on one level, which is kind of fun. Keep in mind that Game of Thrones had the other level, which is while these stupid people are squabbling, a supernatural force is coming to kill them all, which this show doesn't have. So that And also, Game of Thrones was all about the ancillary houses, because it's exactly. not just the people who have claims on the throne, the- it's the collateral damage, and the collateral damage spreads everywhere, and yeah. that's what we follow. We follow people through the wreckage, and they're just dodging asteroids of collateral damage of this, ga- of this Game of Thrones, and this thing is just like, no, just just well, the people in the castle. One, one more thing, and I'll shut up for a second. The, the comparison between this and Rings of Power, they're very different shows. Very different. In 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 just basic storytelling, one of the things that I liked about Rings of Power that we mentioned was the breathing room, the character stuff. Those are like tiny little footnotes in this show. They're barely moments. You don't have that kind of breathing room where in a show like The Good Place, I love how quickly it was like they did three seasons of show in a season. <laughs> I think at the point where they switched out actors, if that point had come at the end of a first season where we had had time and breathing room to get to know all of these different characters that will continue to play a role throughout this long interconnected narrative, if we had had that kind of breathing room like we did in the original Game of Thrones, I think that the execution would have worked a lot better because a lot of those characters in the original Game of Thrones, terrible people who do horrible things. Again, it's not about liking them. It's getting to know their complexities, where whereas I, I feel like I, sh- I I needed more of Matt Smith actually speaking dialogue as cool and interesting <laughs> no. as it was. But it's like it, it, they went, just give us the 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 Sephiroth wall scroll moments yeah, for this character. We don't really need to get to know him. Joe, what do you think yeah. of this? I, I agree with a lot of what has been said. And uh, I, I think that there are some pretty flimsy um ways that the writers and showrunners and uh people with beards who feel responsible for things um have (laughs) you know tried to prop up um and defend against any criticism of it uh because the incest stuff you can't just be like oh well back in the day in medieval europe they used to it's like no 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 you're making a television show right now you tell us why we as the audience are watching this and if it's just for shock value then bad on you you're you know just doing this to get a reaction and get people to tune in to see what terrible thing you're going to do next to make us watch and i don't think that that is necessarily 
uh, beneficial to the storytelling that's going on here. And in terms of time jumps, I agree with Moises. At the end of the season, it would have made a lot more sense because then you could have that time period in our real world to adjust to new actors coming in, as opposed to uh, trying to do these time jumps within the same season where sometimes some of these actors are holding over from previous performances with very little makeup changes in between them. Um, Matt Smith basically looks the same Same. from the first episode to the last episode. His brother gradually rots from the inside. Yeah. And and, and the the showrunners are like, let's just put him in different wigs. We'll just change his haircut a couple times. Everybody will buy it. Who cares? And and what's Corliss's beauty regime? He looks the same. Yeah. Well, yes. uh, Well, John, black don't crack. That's literally it's it's a whole thing. Yeah, it's yeah. um yeah. The, so the the thing that you said in yeah. the beginning, Jason, that you felt like the you know it's like this the show is just getting you set up to the like it's a prologue, like oh, and then finally in the very last episode, now the real show can begin. The reason it feels that way is because they are obsessed with sort of skipping over. It's like life is what happens when you're making other plans. The show is what yeah. happens when you're like you can't just go red wedding, red wedding, red wedding. You have to show us them being wandering through the wilderness and being lost in a city they're unfamiliar with and meeting a new character and hanging out by a camp fire you can't skip all that right you can't have the kids be babies and then they're 12 and then they're 15 in three episodes you have to act that's the show they're skipping the show to get to the set pieces and it is such a disservice and, and the things that work the best are the characters who sort of you know exist out of time who actually get to have the same actually get to be in the same situation from one time jump to the next so viserys he's he's the king the whole time uh, he's, you know, his own dude the whole time and he's got his various problems and he's trying to sort things out. He at least has a through line through these right. jumps because he just kind of pretends they didn't happen. But the kids forget it. Like they don't exist. They're babies, they're toddlers, they're kids, they're, they're teenagers. And at no point do we get to see anything about them except for, well, uh, first let's establish who these kids are because you've never seen them before and they all have blonde hair or whatever. So we got to tell you their names. The names probably <laughs> they, rhyme and stuff. And there's going to be two Aegons and I know it's confusing, but they anyway, don't, they don't all have get, blonde hair, John. That's part of the problem. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they, they get to have, they get to have one or two fighty scenes here and that'll set up that thing later. It's like, you just, you you skip the show. Yeah. They skip the whole, it's like when you play a video game and you skip all the cutscenes. you're missing the game. Like, and that's what, that was so frustrating yeah. because I love some of these actors. I love the young Renera actor. Yes. And, I love the old Renair actor. Yes. They do not seem like the same character to me no. at all. Uh, no. I, the, the young Allison was great. The old Allison was great. I could see how those things connect. Otto, like, I, I love these actors. I love these characters. Rainey's, like, so good. Sir Kristen Cole, the the, the the noble knight you love to hate, right? Yeah. Uh, like, so much good stuff in here. It's like, imagine if they made a show with these people. Imagine if, yeah. like, like, instead of just having them be in these, like, I felt like their show existed and they would dip us into the show once every four episodes. Right. It's just, boy, like, what what a fumble. On Netflix, you can watch stuff at 2x speed, and then they're taking us through this story at 2x speed and skipping over the, these actors getting to actually dig into these characters. And and part of me goes, well, is it is it that they could get Patty Considine for one season of a show, <laughs> so they needed to be done with him in one season instead of two? Where... Again, I uh, these are different shows, but because they're both happening at the same time, I can't help but compare where with Rings of Power, there 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 is a plan that we know what the plan is, is they're going to do five seasons. This show, they're going so quickly through this, mm-hmm. having read the book, one of two volumes, the second volume is not yet out, second volume will be out in 30 years, yep. who knows. Um, they're going through this stuff so fast 
they're like, oh, we're done with the time jumps. We're not going to replace actors. Well, so is this going to be a three seasons and done show? Or is the show going to then go through a big recasting? And in season four, it's going to continue on after the Dance of the Dragons, which is just going to be all of seasons two and three. But frankly, they're going so fast yeah. that that I feel like the Dance of the Dragons is all going to happen over the course of the second season. I don't think so. I think that the rest of this is the show. And that that's why this this season seems such a prologue and seems so weirdly paced is I think they want to get us to the point where the show is at the end of season one, which is two different camps, two different monarchs. Everybody's going to need to line up and then there's going to be machinations and battles and other things like that. Who's going to who's going to line up, though? This show did so little of showing us the other houses Mm -hmm. like they're in a couple scenes pledging allegiance, like even when they had other characters like like Lionel Strong. Right. And his son, the Breakbones guy. Great characters in Game of Thrones. You know, original one. We would have gotten to know those characters over the course of a season or two. And then they would have had tragic deaths and we would have felt it here. They're in like three scenes. We're like, oh, I kind of like those. Oh, I guess they're gone. Never mind. And they're super important to the plot. It's like they're not, you know, they're they're the father of these kids that are like, why why burn that in season one? You had good actors, they're interesting characters, and they just they just wasted them. And so now, when the, in the next season where everyone's lining up, I guess they're going to introduce us to. Oh, I, by the way, mm-hmm. here's a bunch of houses. You saw them for three seconds in the throne room or whatever, but I guess we have to set them up now because otherwise, it's literally just you know the two people butting heads that you saw in the and previous s- season. S- speaking of how strong Laris. Uh, Mm -hmm. who is very, very important to the narrative. We see like two little glimpses of him before suddenly he is the one working behind the scenes on everything. Yes, I called him, I called him, what is he? He's he's evil cane man. That's (laughs) what I called him. Evil foot fetish man. And and also the, don't forget, that is that is another example of just like with Lord of the Rings a little bit where there are there are things that are either dropped or they're done in such a way that I totally miss because like there's a moment where where Lord Laris says to Alicent like ah but your father he is the problem we need to take care of him and she's like yes let's do it and then you forget that he exists for like three episodes and, or and, something and well that happens toward the end of the show and then it's like well the, what are the, are they are they working against yeah, him? He's, he's like, like his whole thing. He's scheming the whole show. And it's like, we spent the whole season and we never really know what his deal is other than, well, I'm a second son. We, we yeah. did that theme three times. I'm going to, yeah. it's like, does anyone need a character theme? Anyone need an arc? A uh, second son is available. Yeah, I'll take it. He's, I guess he's, he's a second son. Who's, who's like a more malevolent and more scheming version of Varys. Uh, one of my favorite characters in the yeah, original show, right. whose name rhymes with Varys. But, but Varys, Varys had Varys had a goal and was a hard worker. This guy exactly. is just hanging around the castle, looking at the queen's feet, occasionally killing Being people, all... cutting out some tongues. He's just he's just a layabout. He's yeah, a layabout exactly. villain. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, you know, but you know, but why do that with Laris? Why so, do it? So here's the thing. I think this show could still be okay. If they can get, if they, but they need to make big changes for season two. But I feel like having bu- done through the prologue, like, do I have confidence that it will be okay? Mm. I don't, because I feel <laughs> like whether it's people with beards, uh, George R. R. Martin, I'm, I'm assuming, um, like there, are, they, they have made some weird choices, and those people are still sort of in charge. And I think George R. R. Martin has enough power at this point that he's going to be like, yes, this is the show I want to make because it shows various vignettes of the genealogy that I wrote that I made up a few years ago, which is not how you want to hang a show, and it's too bad. Hey. 
but, but I, hey, hey, but, uh, George R. R. Martin here. You know what people really want on a TV show is to feel like they're clicking around a wiki. Yeah. But a show. So I don't like, yeah. So my confidence is not, is not super high about it, but like there are, it does, I think, look good and have good actors. And mm-hmm. yes, the, I, the problem is that they're sort of wasted on the material. And I, my, my only hope for a second season of this is that it will be, that they will settle, right? They will settle down and realize it's time to well, stop hitting fast forward or the little badoop badoop TiVo button and actually tell a story and widen the scope is the other thing, right? Because Game of Thrones had a wide scope. Remember, here, here I think the opening credits say it all. The Game of Thrones opening credits mm-hmm. was a very exciting swooping around the map, because who doesn't like a fantasy map, showing you the various corners of this realm, all of whom are going to be affected by and drawn together by the plot of the show as the theme and each, song plays. And each episode, they would show you the locations they're going to concentrate right. on in that episode. Now, this show, first off, they can't do that because it's all in the same one or two places. Second, it's the th- same theme song. And third, mm-hmm. it is the least imaginative opening I could not mm-hmm. believe it when I saw it, which is it's sort of like blood flowing through a thing, and it's like it's a family tree. Re- it's the yeah, family tree, really. And they and they keep updating the family tree. Each one of those things when kids are born and they get uh, married, it's it's the type of thing that you wouldn't know unless you watch terrible. an old Shift X video. But but that's what it is, and it doesn't quite work. I, out. I kept thinking, oh, they'll they'll make it specifically interesting for individual episodes, but no, no. Command V, Command it's V, awful. Command V. Yeah, well, it. it what makes it so terrible too it, it's it looks bad just like quality wise yes um and I'm, I'm sorry to whoever worked on it uh but it i just don't agree with the choices that are made here i'm sure like, i'm sure whoever bl- worked on it felt really fulfilled dude. <laughs> i don't <laughs> like but the but the like you said the scope of it is narrow the music is reused for reasons that seem more like hey you liked that show right, right? Totally. like this show yeah. welcome um game of thrones season nine yeah I, I it's just it's lazy and it's unimaginative and it goes on for forever uh so i have actually used the skip intro button which i don't i don't generally use but it was just a terrible intro yeah, I, I used to watch the game i'm a big skip intro guy and i yeah. would always watch the game of the thrones intro because it was fun i like the music they'd show you different parts of the maps and it was cool it's one of the rare some semi-long intros that i would watch and this one it's like forget it i only know about no the whole family tree things because i watch yeah. the explanation videos on youtube where they go into like well you don't know this but this has this thing and this has this you know and, uh. the, and the the blue sapphire is because <laughs> this guy's eye is a blue sapphire and you won't know that until later and it's like i don't care about any of no. that like this show so not, what you're saying is to enjoy this we really need to read the footnotes and spend yeah, more time I mean, the, the that's fine but the show didn't get the fundamentals right it doesn't get yeah. to gild that lily it's not a lily quite yet and speak, no. speaking of gilding a lily like i want to get i don't know that's the right expression but go back to the go back to the incest thing for a second um the, the <laughs> wow that is yeah. not a euphemism okay yeah so so the so incest in game of thrones which i think is the is the uh the most incest forward show before this in pop culture uh-huh. like well-known incest forward show right my recollection, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but as it's been a long time, my recollection is that the incest in Game of Thrones is a plot and character important thing because Jamie and Cersei are feel some amount of shame and societal censure about their relationship. They try to keep it a secret. So like, say, if a little boy saw them, they would push that boy down, which uh-huh. would be important later. Um, and so therefore it is... It, it people viewers can relate to it in similar way to we relate to incest now where it is generally frowned upon 
And the people who are doing it are kind of like, you know, evil bad guys. But also the character thing is like they, they have a shared trauma of a terrible father and they, they've turned to each other for comfort because they're the only people who can really trust each other and be like it makes all the incest make sense from a character perspective, right? It, it, it's explicable from their situation. It informs their characters. It motivates the plot because they're an incestuous relationship. Things happen and they act, they act to do things because of that relationship they're in. It fits in the show. And this thing, incest is basically like, well, because uh, in this uh, fictional world I made, this royal family... Uh, you know, uh, married their siblings and everything because they wanted to keep the bloodlines pure. That's just a thing that they did. Fine. That's the world that you've made. But it doesn't add anything to the show because none of the no. characters do anything because they are in relation incestuous relationships. And th the only thing left is the, uh, uh, the assumption or guess or hope that the audience will find incest interesting and it's not. The show no. doesn't make it interesting. It doesn't it doesn't affect the plot or the characters' decisions or anything about them. It they might as well not be related. We don't see anything like they don't even do the thing of like, oh, we we uh, get together because we are close to each other because we're so all the siblings aren't close. They all hate each other. They yeah. might as well be strangers. So why is it even there? It is just such a boring footnote to the show that I forgot about her for most of the series. I mean, well, you know, if you ask me, oh, those two are brother and sister, so like, the, who cares? The problem who cares is, that they're brother the and sister? The problem is that with Renera, we know Renera and we meet her as a young girl mm -hmm. and we meet Matt Smith, who looks just like Matt Smith. I mean, mm -hmm. that, and that could, that that could be part of the show it, to and say it looks like oh. and it looks like a forty-year-old man. So, uh, being so seduced make, so by make his him old niece. yes, exactly. Yeah, make him the lecherous uncle who is super. But no, Matt Smith is not no. the lecherous uncle. He's a likable actor, He's and a we, cool we, guy. we feel for him. And he and he basically doesn't give off that vibe, and he doesn't act that way for the rest of the show. And no Completely one else in the agree. show cares about it. They could have had him be the <laughs> lecherous uncle and had people hate him, like had his brother say, "I used to like you as my brother, but now I hate you because you're the lecherous uncle." Right? That doesn't happen either. Doesn't they never do anything There's, with the insets it's not important to the characters or the plot and why is so why is it there it's just there to to squick out some people who don't like it and for people like me to just be like i'm just ignoring it because it's gross and i don't care and it's just not important to the show i i feel i feel uh i feel like it it is targeting people who are put off by it as oh get it you're you're it's transgressive prudes. to the audience you know, this this is history history in a fictional <laughs> book series where there are dragons um I, I hate I hate the way that they have not just um, not just put a bunch of it in there, but actively gone toward destigmatizing it where great. There is all this incest all over the place. Uh, one of Allison's uh, kids uh, got married off to his sister and 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 that that incestuous relationship. I had forgotten about it because yeah, it, it was just very no matter of factly brushed off. The show doesn't make us think less of her because of it. Right. Yeah, it's it's not built. It's not so heavily built into their character development the way that the Rhaenyra Damon stuff is where it's, oh, they they, they are honestly positioned like, oh, they found each other in difficult times. I mean, who else could they have turned to? But, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know. Like, yes. Is is there historical precedent for this in aristocracies and and uh, and and reigning monarchies as close as the United Kingdom? Sure. 
Absolutely. But you don't have to give it this sort of focus. Yeah. Like if you're going to have it happen as just a matter of fact thing, you would never have these long drawn out, like you you wouldn't try to rub it in the viewer's face any more than you try to rub it in their face that they ride horses. See, see how they ride horses. Do you see the horses? Like, yeah. So what it's, we get it. You know, if it's, if it's a matter of fact thing, the horse is kind of sexy. No, the the show wants it to be a focal point, but it is pointless in the show. It is not important for the viewer to see for character or plot reasons. Well, and, and part of part of what I think pushed them in this direction is the compression of characters. They have they have they have uh, a condensation of characters that they're dealing with as they're speeding through, blasting through story such that, well, uh, if we're going to show any romance, most of our main characters are people who are related to each other who are going to end up being married <laughs> yeah. to each other. It's like a sitcom where eventually everyone has to date. They go through oh. all the permutations. Ugh. Yeah, it yeah. is. Um well, and the, the idea of like, well, it's it's history. It's like, yeah, but you chose to make your story about this and to focus on it. You didn't have to do that just because that was a thing that happened in history. You don't actually have to yeah. have or, to. Or if it's just a thing you. that happened, just have it be a thing that happened. Like the horses don't don't like saying, huh? Did you see? Yeah. Brother and sister? Pretty huh? It's like, no, I don't see. Like no. what? What? So my, my, my hope about season two is is a variant of Jason's where they aren't going to learn lessons from a critical drubbing or for lack of performance and ratings because the show was a massive rating success, Mm -hmm. a massive rating success. The only way that they will quote unquote learn from the mistakes here are learning from the conceptual mistakes of how the show was set up. And hopefully in season two, we don't have to, they don't shove the incest stuff in our faces all the time. And the, and and they planned all along for season two is where it starts breathing. Um, Why is this only, is this only going to be a three season show or are they going to, keep going longer or are they gonna say this is all well and good after three seasons and then switch to something else <laughs> i don't know anything about the books but it's like episode one all the characters that we know and love episode two everyone's in old age makeup you're like oh come on yeah <laughs> well they won't the, the episode two will be like do you remember that big war over the throne yeah I remember no, they, the they're war not the going throne. to though i really i really think that this is the prologue and that at mm-hmm. this point now and and i hope this is the case but i think this is the case is at this point now they slow down in fact somebody said at some point very confusingly said from here on out it's in real time and i'm like whoa an hour an episode <laughs> like, is going to take forever it becomes uh westeros it's, 24 yeah it's 24 yeah, the, that's the, not yeah the 24 of dragons that, that's and not what they mean but i think they mean there's no more time jumps and the idea is now mm. it's going to be about the details yeah. of this war that's happening which again okay maybe that's okay but again you need to also widen the scope because the I mean, thing what that are you, made what game are you of just going to five seasons of dragons fighting each other like we we need to we need more people that we know and care well, about that need to well, widen yes. the scope it, it's not just dragons yeah. fighting each other it's also armies but you need to know the people and that was what i was getting at is you, the reason you widen the scope is not just because uh it, it's exhausting to follow this one family storyline quite frankly but also because one of the things i liked about the original game of thrones is the aspect of it which is how is the wider world affected by this oh yes i want the throne i want the throne but the point of game of thrones was in part that the the squabbling over who ruled had one real victim which is literally everybody else in the kingdom was miserable and you need to see it you need to see the peasants and you need to see the knights and you need to see uh, you know the hedge knights and whatever else and the people in the far off houses who have to send their kids to probably die like that's what makes it kind of interesting if it's just at the high level it, you're watching people play chess and and not knowing anything about the armies, it's like they're playing a game of risk. That's not interesting drama to yeah, me. You, you mentioned you mentioned uh, we mentioned Missaria like once already. Mm-hmm. In in uh, is it the last episode that like her house is burned down? The other bigger problem is <laughs> that the show has gone so fast that 
I forgot that was supposed to be her house. It just looked like it was a house, a house. on fire. I, I, and I think the show is trying to say there, you're not. We're not going to tell you whether she's dead or not. But what they actually said was, you know, do people even know this is her house? I'm not even sure. Like it was so incompetently yeah. done. Like they have yes. to have a point. It's not like they need to tell us whether she's alive or dead. But if they're teasing it, communicate the tease to the audience. And I feel like 50 percent of the audience would be like, huh, house burning. I wonder whose house that is. I mean, I can literally <laughs> see the writer's room instance of that where it's OK. So cut to exterior. Masaria's, Masaria's house. house. But, but it's unless on they fire. put text over the screen that says Masaria's well, house. No, and then <laughs> a, a junior writer pipes up and says, but wait, how do they know that it's Masaria's well, house? Well, they've seen it once before for 30 seconds in, in, in an establishing no, shot. No, not, oh. not even in the that. The executive producer yeah. says, no, 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 no. They'll know. The, no, it's and I'll, I'll throw out the thing that I missed that um i i checked my wife also missed it i think other people probably missed it too which is i went through all the way to the end thinking well you know rainier is okay but she did kill her husband there's that one dark shot where in twilight at the very end of an episode after matt smith <laughs> kills a guy that that the, the the guy who killed her husband gets on a boat and you're like oh he's getting away uh, and you don't pay attention to the fact that the other guy who has no hair is her husband with his head uh, shaved I went episodes thinking, well, she talks a good game, but she did conspire to murder her husband only to find out, oh, no, he's not dead because that was that really. Yeah, that was really clear. Well, Jason, also, his name was Leonor. Uh, you might have forgotten it because you you saw him at that yeah. age for approximately two episodes. Yeah. And, and I identified him, Moises, says, by his hair, which was gone when he yeah. got in the boat. I'm going to give that one. I'm going to say that one's 50% on the, the show, the people who made the show because they didn't make that clear enough, but kind of 50% on you because that wasn't a short scene. And I know it's hard to recognize faces and the darkness is definitely on the scene. If they had showed him shaving his head, it would have helped a lot. But I, that's, that's an example 100% of, like, of my household didn't get it. That's all I, I know. I mean, and, and I th- it wasn't that's that's the thing about when I see the show do things like that, you know, brings the power to it as well. It's like just sort of basic mechanics of. Uh huh. Show you want to tell us a thing, and you're not trying to make it a mystery. It's not supposed yeah. to be a secret. You yeah. have a whole scene, and you've essentially failed to communicate that to some percentage of the audience. This is and this is my to, point. You have to get the basics. I am a I am a a veteran television and film viewer, and I didn't get it. And I think that's on them. I think that that is on them. That it was so it's, fast. It's mostly on them. Like I, my I, experience like, with it was it was a variant of Jason's where in watching it. I realized that was what was going on, but then I forgot that that scene had happened. <laughs> well, they act like he's dead the, the whole time, although not entirely. There, I think it's actually a question where the, his mom may actually know he's not dead, but yeah. Yeah. So I, I, rem- I remember that he lived because I think that was a good plot development because then she has to navigate the relationships. She knows that she didn't kill him, but she kind of wants everyone else to think he killed him and she's got to have a relationship with the mother. And that, yeah. that that dynamic worked for me. It's just it was a slight unforced error to not because you can you can do things. It's kind of like a Masaria thing. You can do things where you don't tell people. Well, you don't know whether she's alive or dead. We're just going to show you the house. But it has to be clear that's what you're doing. And in this case, this was not supposed to be a mystery or a misdirect no. or a like they <laughs> want every single they want 100 percent of the people who watch that to know that is. And if they didn't get 100 percent, there's no reason for that, because getting 90 percent doesn't make you more clever or like that. your you know, your show is too sophisticated. It was just not competently done enough. Right now, it was it wasn't as bad as Masari's house burning, because I think that's asking much more of the people than I to agree. recognize the face of an actor you've seen in two episodes. <laughs> but it was. And also, I think the dark. Hey, remember some architecture? There. No. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't like it was the outside of the peach pit on 90210. 
the darkness didn't help in any of these scenes. No. Uh, the the showrunner of this first season, um, who infamously was the director of the episode that was too dark of Game of Thrones, uh, decided that he was going to make all the night shots in this show day for night, but he didn't want it to look like day for night. So he made it basically so dark on most television sets, you would not see much yeah. of anything at all. Um, Especially if you don't have auto dimming turned off. And the technical yes. people... If, if the auto dimming turns on during that thing, it becomes invisible a- for after, people. And I, after it happened, the technical people are like, oh, that's on us. We need to learn our lesson. And I'm like, you learned the lesson! You learned the lesson <laughs> right. in the Game of Thrones episode! I mean, what well, are I, you doing? I, apparently they need to learn the day for night lesson too, but because it's like there is no amount of dimming that's going to knock no. down those specular highlights in day for night. No, like it's everybody all knows gray. it's day for night. It's just you all can't. All gray. Like, you have to go in there and erase them by hand. And at which point, just shoot at night, people. Come on, like we have the technology. <laughs> it's it's amazing how many different levels this show is a conceptual and compositional failure. Yet we're all still watching it and talking yeah. about it. I mean, the so the the good the, actors, the, good performances, it goes a long the, way. The, yeah. The, the the other layer of the Rhaenyra let's Leonor live thing is they're saying through one side of their mouth, oh, hey, so none of these people are people to root for. They're all bad people. But they specifically add a new uh, layer of nuance to something that in the source material, and I'm not going to go into book spoilers, but is left vague as to, well, uh, you know, th- the rumor is that she uh, she and or Damon conspired to have him killed. And here it is. It is. It is made flatly clear what it is that happened. Well, as a clear. means <laughs> of making her more sympathetic, but the making it super clear was not done clearly. And even if <laughs> it amazing. had been done clearly, the problem or the problem revolves back around to they are trying to make somebody that is explicitly, again, from one side of their mouth, being pitched as oh she's not sympathetic. She's you know we're seeing what what would make somebody as compromised of a character. And they're like, no, 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 we're going to dial that back. We're going to make her sympathetic and 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 make um, marrying your uncle cool. Again. Well, she's Why totally is Renera not sympathetic? She's totally like, sympathetic. I feel like she was sympathetic mm-hmm. for the whole through the whole series. I mean, if they're going to have her turn, obviously the end of the season is going to be motivation for her turn. But I, I disagree that there are no likable characters. I find both Allison and Renera very likable and, and Rainey's likable even in Corliss. Yeah. I think they're all like there's a lot of good people on this show. Obviously, they all do bad things, but they they feel bad about it. And that's what makes them good people. Like the, 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 they, there, there are, there are likable things about them. But, but again, when, when the people making the show are saying these are all bad people and, and I'm not sure that's what the show is saying. Yeah, I mean, all compromised. And, and as for the book so thing, I feel, isn't the framing. I haven't read the books, but I know about them from watching YouTube videos. Like the framing device of the book is, it is a bunch of, it's like, it's not ran, but it's a bunch of different people's perspective. I'm like, well, I think this happened. History. This person says this happened. And, yeah. so, and they don't do that in the show. This is what there's one, there's one truth in the that show. We see it. Right, and so and that that makes sense. Yeah, we're seeing the the actual history that may have been referred to in these history accounts. Right, and so they and so they can nail it down and say no, she didn't actually count because she because she's like there. I like their relationship. They're they they're in a marriage of convenience, which. They brought that uh, Renera through that character arc of like, um, I'm going to marry for love. I'm going to do this. The guy had the hot sword turns out to be a jerk. We can all relate. Like, you know, it's just it, you know, then she gets older and marries for political reasons. And her 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 father, who loves her, the king, says, you can pick whoever you want. And she ends up picking someone who's political. And she, and they have an agreement because they're not into each other and you can do whatever you want. Like, I think that all worked. And it made all the I think almost every character in the show is pretty sympathetic. I mean, Sir Kristen Cole, maybe not. Uh, yeah, and, uh, but the 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 reduced down thing is the fight for power 
makes everyone into terrible people. That's, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't she's think try, she's trying real hard I, to I'm, be the I'm, shepherd. I'm not saying we're there. I'm not saying we're there. I'm saying that that they said that's 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 what this is. The that fire and blood, the the struggle for power. Like this is where this is where the downfall of House Targaryen starts, and it takes 200 years. Okay, well maybe maybe so, but I I think that Rhaenyra is is not. Now that I know that she didn't kill her husband, I, I'm more on her side. <laughs> yeah, we we'll go rewatch those scenes because she's got she's got to deal with Rhaenys, and and she can't tell Rhaenys. Yeah, but yeah. She's got to deal with Rhaenys, and it makes those scenes super interesting because you're like, ah, oh, just tell her you didn't kill her. Son, he's fine. He's probably on the beach somewhere. Yeah, he His definitely boyfriend. is. It's great. <laughs> uh, he's got a new boyfriend, and he's and he's loving life. No, a new boyfriend. They're they're uh, same same boyfriend. What the, what the hell right, is well, real? That, yeah, that's right. The newer newer <laughs> same, one than the one who dies. Yeah. yeah, the same potential murderer. Boyfriend. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they are, they're pretty loose with killing the random servant to put in the fire, but you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, who don't cares about poor do. people? Uh, <laughs> but what I don't understand about, uh, that scene necessarily was the way they did it was Matt Smith is telling the boyfriend whom he is, it seems yeah, to be proposing it looks all sinister. Yeah. Yeah. To propose yeah. to kill uh, him. And it's just like, well, I thought that the point of that scene was that he changed his mind and mm-hmm. then you know, leaves with the money and with, uh, uh, his, his lover. Um, but they, they you know, I don't know. It's just, you, you it never not... know which Damon is going to show up because as Jason said, Damon from like scene to scene is a whole no. different Just roll a D20 and we it, see which and Damon and, and I feel like it, when I first started watching this show, I didn't know Matt Smith. I didn't know Matt Smith was even in it. And I'm like, oh, this is a problem because his name is basically demon, right? Mm-hmm. He looks like he's going to be a bad guy. <laughs> I don't think Matt. I don't think I can believe Matt Smith as a super evil dude. But uh, happily slash whatever, like he ends up not being a super. He ends up being moody Matt Smith for a little while. He goes away to the east and is mopey and yep. he wants his brother's respect and he's like, like it's hard not to like. You don't cast. It's like casting Tom Hanks as the enemy in your movie. Strangles her at one point. Mm. That was the part where I'm like, whoa, what? Well, no, he's not a great guy, but also no. he's like he, he's. He's all over the map, but pl- making Matt Smith play him screws with the character know, so much because right? you like you want to like him, Matt Smith. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, before we go, I did want to mention uh, when we're thinking of that this is the show they decided to make. Uh, there is at least at last report, which is about about eleven months ago, so I don't know where it is now. But at last report, they were working on. I mean, multiple other Game of Thrones properties for HBO and HBO Max. One of which, though, I'm just going to mention it here because this is the one that I sat up and thought, oh, actually, yeah, I want to see that show. But that is Duncan Egg, which is based on some novellas George R. R. Martin wrote about an itinerant knight and his young squire who has a secret, you know, related to the Targaryens and all of that. And that those novellas are kind of fun. I've read them. They're fun. And uh, at last report, Stephen Conrad who did Patriot and Perpetual Grace Limited was attached as the writer for that. And a a writer of interesting, quirky television being attached to an interesting, quirky Game of Thrones story. I kind of would like to see that. Sad Squires. I don't know if they know. Sad Squires. squires. Sure. Yeah, I don't know if Egg is that sad, but it's more like Sad Nights, actually, (laughs) is what Duncan Egg is. The prospect of that the prospect of that excites me a great deal uh, at, in stark contrast to this show, which I'm going to keep watching 
not because I'm enjoying the show as much, but because I'm enjoying ripping it to shreds, talking to my friends about it. I enjoy the ride, Mm -hmm. honestly, but I get to the end and I'm like, "Mm, what are they doing? Right? Like, and yet I'm watching it. And I, I, and I think if you don't think about it, there's, there's a lot to, like John said, performances and I think characters and all that, but there's so many questionable decisions, (laughs) just so many. Mm -hmm. And and like I said, the main lessons the show has learned other than not doing the, the, stupid night stuff and and getting the basic competent stuff is if you're gonna kill off a beloved character you have to make us love them first like right. you have to actually be, let them be in the oh, show. Oh no, that kid oh, who we don't know—he oh, died. Oh, yeah. and 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 the thing is, <laughs> I like those kids. I thought those two kids were great, but they were just like their total amount of screen time before they die. It's just like like and again, the Five strongs, minutes. the strongs are the worst. Like you have great actors and great characters, give them a season to live before you kill them. Mm-hmm. Like that's have you learned nothing from Game of Thrones? Like you don't kill Rob in episode three. Come on, like just let it let it let it air out a little bit because it doesn't it doesn't. There's no punch to it if it's like. Who is it that died? The guy who we've seen for two and a half episodes? Yeah. Oh, okay. Whatever. I guess that's not that important guy. to the show. Like it doesn't it, it doesn't land as a gut punch, right? Even even the very last episode is supposed to be like land as the gut. How many episodes was that kid freaking in? Like we didn't he didn't have any lines. He didn't exist. Then he had no lines. Then he was in like one or two episodes and had a little bit like he had nothing compared to what these other characters have before they die. So hopefully when they go into real yeah. time will yeah. we'll be yes. able to settle in but they <laughs> this are is the they're... longest day of my life well also that kid was the second actor to play that kid oh, God. Mm-hmm. and the kid with the slashed eye uh, well the teen with the slashed eye was a different kid before that mm-hmm. right who really didn't look anything like him either and so i couldn't remember if that which one kid... slashed the eye yeah, yeah like, exactly which was... which which which, which brown haired uh... kid slice which blonde haired kid <laughs> yep that that turned the blonde haired kid into eye patch Sephiroth. All right. Well, you know, I I, I I have one I have one positive writing thing to say. About okay. This. So one of my least favorite tropes is, oh, if only they had one conversation, all of this conflict would be avoided. Um, they they set things up to where Rhaenyra and Alicent are from opposite sides of a divide. Going, no, 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 no. There are a lot of misunderstandings here, and I I know her, and we've had our differences. We're going to work them out. So they didn't. They they at least leaned into these being two intelligent women with some agency, uh, despite what history with dragons uh, would allow them to have. Um, so I I liked I liked that. And th- but they undercut things... that at the end. They had a exactly. misunderstanding a misunderstanding based plot point at the very end. Yes. Who, exactly. who's, who's supposed to be your? Oh, I guess that means uh-huh. me. Talk to her there about it. I I <laughs> laughed out loud when Allison misunderstood the mutterings of I mean, a dying man. It was mm-hmm. just like, oh man! He, I mean, just like, talk did... to Renera. Like that. So, uh, getting back to what Jason was saying about the supernatural element, that's another big undercutting thing in the show. Was it's like, oh, the, you know, the the whatever. Uh, I was going to say Urukai. What's the name of the the the? Not the prince who was promised. Whatever the guy, the flamey guy. Oh yeah, Azura High. Yeah, the prince Azura who was promised. High, right? Yeah. That yeah, that whole thing and the dagger and all this and it's a it's a family prophecy that I passed down because I have visions and I'm telling you, Rhaenyra, and you find out that Damon doesn't know because Viserys never told his brother because he didn't trust him, so he told his daughter about this vision, and the vision is the thing that he's muttering about that Allison misunderstands. That is undercut by the fact that we know how that turns out. <laughs> and it's not in this show like that happens later and this you know the ice guy is stabbed by a totally different character who we like much more than these people and it's like 
how is that? Uh, why is this prophecy important to the show? The prophecy is fulfilled in a whole other show. Yeah. So I don't, these characters motivation, yeah. like she doesn't know that's going to happen, but like, I don't, it, it, why is this a, a plot thread? You know, it, why well, is this because is animating them? Th- because this is season nine of Game of Thrones, not season one of a new show. And if, if it's like a three season prequel continuation of the original Game of Thrones and then the Jon Snow show will be ready to be <laughs> season 13, then there you go. Uh, but uh, for, I mean, for me, like what John just pointed out, that's my biggest problem with this show is every step forward they take, they they take three leaps backward almost immediately right on the back of me going, oh, okay, well, that, that actually worked. That actually made sense. Well, we'll have to see what happens next um, and probably talk about it at a later time. But for now, we're going to wrap it up here. I want to thank my panelists who stayed with me for the whole time. I don't blame Erica. She tried. She noped right out of uh, of Game of Thrones, and that's fine. I, I think Erica deserves more credit for noping. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Joe Rosenstiel, thank you for being here. Thank you. I look forward to returning as the crab feeder in a huge season long story arc that mm-hmm. will be very significant. Right. We never saw the crab feeder die, did we? <laughs> uh, the crab feeder. God. Moises Chuyon, thank you. <laughs> there, there was uh, an uh, outro for this. He's been dying I slowly the whole episode. Plaid, I shouldn't sit on sharp things. Uh, and John Syracuse, thank you. Don't don't fly your dragons in the rain. I think that's the lesson of the show. A very important lesson. That's right. Unless you're uh, equipped. I mean, you're not. Believe me. All right. Thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode about two very different TV shows. We'll see you next time. 